ho, ho, and a bottle of Brass Monkey. What's going on? It's the Badass Records Podcast. This is your host, Blair Johnson, here to welcome you to another episode of the podcast, which is about people and some of their favorite music. Um, I think it's November now by the time this is out, and just letting you know that new episodes are typically out Thursdays. You can catch them on badassrecordspodcast.com or on the YouTube channel uh, or find audio where you stream. Um, no video this week, but if you're on the tube or on the site, um, give it a look regardless because there are some fantastic photography. Um, you can keep up with the podcast on Twitter or on Instagram. Um if you want to do an in-person episode with me here in Kansas City, or if you'd like me to come to you, uh, hit me up at badassrecordspodcast at gmail.com. We will make it happen. It's badassrecordspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoy the show. Here we are. Um, episode 90, Badass Records Podcast. Mary. Meg Heimovic's Cumin. I just had to, I had it out the other day. I was like, Mary. <laughs> um, I am super, super excited. Uh, thank you for being here. Yes. Um, like I said, episode 90. However, we have to go back to almost a full year ago. Mm-hmm. Late December. Rolling up on Christmas time. Episodes 50, 51, and 52, all three gals. Mm-hmm. And then I had another one at 55, all dudes since. Really? Really. I, I looked at some point and I was like, there are a lot of, but I didn't take inventory. Seriously? Yeah. yeah that's what yeah. happens when you hit the local music scene. Probably. I guess. I guess. <laughs> venue, I um, lots of uh, folks um, either outright, like, no. I don't want to do that. Or like if I, you know, run into you, hey, and they're like, yeah. And then privately they're like, oh, you're, you're serious? No. <laughs> um, and then lots of folks, mostly girls, but some guys too. Um, oh, yeah, I wouldn't be a good guest. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'll, I'll be the judge. Yeah. Uh-huh. I want to know your story. Like, that's, what are you talking about? And it's a tough sell. Like, I don't, I don't want to say we're going to talk about you and then you get stage fright. Um, but I don't want to emphasize the music too much because people think it's going to be some kind of contest, some kind of knowledge debate. It's mm-hmm. like, no, dude. I mean, anyway. Um, so thank you. Mm-hmm. Very fun. Uh, great to have uh, some female presence in the room again. Uh, we know each other from high school. Yes, we do. But have we seen each other since? Oh, yes. We really. When Amon first came back in town, were you? Oh around? my god! Like high I, th- I heard. Union, it might have been. Did he? Did, he were you his host family? What? Were you his host? Uh-huh. Oh wow! Uh-huh. I had forgotten that piece. Yeah. Um, he came back. My dad passed away. I know. I'm sorry. He came back for that, which was amazing. Um, somebody, maybe Dan, maybe it was Dan Gedman, had people over a couple months ago, and somebody was th- maybe Chris Kemp. Somebody there was mm-hmm. like, "He's going to be in town," you know, mm-hmm. uh, and then I never heard anything but i thought it was like a planned 
trip. He is gonna come back for your guys's reunion. Oh, that's what it was. That's yeah. what which got pushed. Yes. Because of the Casey Kern. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're ninety four, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Here, but you're in the loop with. Uh-huh. I, well, I didn't know until Almond came. And okay. Told me. I was okay. Like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, which you know, uh, I am not a person that like raises my hand to volunteer and organize a lot of things, but, um, it was like not, no one else was either. And so, uh, a guy in our class was like, I work out at the K we should get a suite, you know, during the blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't want to go out to fucking Truman sports complex in July and standard, uh, you know? And mm-hmm. so, and then somebody just took like, we're doing it next year. I was like, oh, oh shit, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, but also, cool. Um, well, that'll be fun, man. I, so he came for... My dad's funeral. But before that? Um, it's been a while. It's been a long while. But you think we saw one another then? Yeah. Okay. It would have been maybe 2012, 2011. Okay. Even he came one other time. Oh, wow. Then. Now he's married with kids, right? Divorced. Divorced. With the daughter. Okay, okay. Uh, and he was getting ready... He, there's like, I need my phone. There's this Get it. tiny, 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 tiny little island off the coast of Norway that has like 17 people on it. What? Um, that's right next to the Russian, Russian waters. And they need like one Norwegian military person to like take up residence on the island. And he was probably going to end up doing it. And so he was going to go live in the middle. Where is it? You can find it pretty easily. Let me, let me get it out. So, let's see. Right there. Whoa. No, thank you. Chan Mayan. Yeah, tiny. It's like 17 people. So that's where he's going to probably go spend the next year. <laughs> well, he, gets to see, he probably wouldn't get to see his kid. No, she's away at college. Oh, uh-huh. oh I mean, they're in the neighborhood that you're in as far as how long you've been a parent oh yeah 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 because you're he his daughter's a couple years old you have a girl and two boys a boy and two girls. boy and two girls sorry uh and then there are all teenagers yes (laughs) one's 19 the other one's 17 the other one's 15 okay what's 19 doing um sophomore at ku okay majoring in english philosophy and a minor in visual arts wow all the useless degrees in one. Hey. <laughs> um, but he wants to teach, so it's per- it's perfect for that. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are you you wind up spending a lot of time up there, right? Uh huh. So yeah. Do you guys get to like grab a lunch or? Um, he has celiac disease. Okay. Do you know what that is? He's allergic to gluten. Yes. Well, not allergic, but uh, he has an autoimmune disease related to gluten. So. My husband cooks for him, and I take the food, and then we sit in the parking lot, and I deliver food, and we get to talk like once or twice a week, and just hang out in the car. It's really okay, nice. cool. Yeah. Um, now, so when? Did, how long have you been married then? Like twenty ish. Got married in two thousand two. <laughs> I don't know how long I've been married. Twenty one years. Wow. <laughs> wow. We met. Um, Right before I went away to college. Okay. Two weeks before we went away to, I went away to college in a parking lot and started dating. Um, so we dated about seven years and then got married. Two weeks before you went away to college? Uh-huh. He had moved back after not doing well in college. Okay. And so we had a long distance relationship for 
about a year and a half. And, you're, and then he moved to Lawrence, and then he moved back. We broke up at some point. But you're still a baby then. That's uh, oh, yeah. wild. When we went on our honeymoon. I think I was 27. We'd been dating like eight years. <laughs> Nobody could like believe that we've been dating it because we look like children. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you have a much better memory than I do. Um, but if I reach all the way back to high school, I really like two things about you. Mm-hmm. Photography mm-hmm. and Dan. That's, I mean, that's, <laughs> can we forget about the second half? <laughs> well, it, it's not an intentional pain point. It's uh-huh. literally like thinking, like, what right? do I know about Meg? Uh-huh. You know, I mean, you were like, what was your role in the yearbook? I was just a photographer for two oh, years. Okay. And I was photo editor of the newspaper. Oh, of the newspaper? Okay, maybe newspaper. we must have been crossing paths then. Yeah. Who was editor in chief? I did. I was photo editor my senior year, and I think just a photographer my junior year. Okay. So I'd, I'd junior probably would have been Nate, or yeah, maybe right. or maybe Amy Porter. Was she? A... That was Amy, I think. Was it okay? Because yeah. it was, and you then only. Mike was. But Mike. But we're talking newspaper. Uh huh. But Mike I was. Who was? I forget. Who yeah. Was. I don't but I think you could only have the editor-in-chief thing for a semester. Oh, is that right? Maybe. Uh-huh. So that's maybe why Nate and Amy... Had the two. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... It's, so much is lost. Um, I still... I actually um, took the kids out to Virginia two summers ago and stayed the, a week with Nate and mm-hmm. his family. Uh, and I still give him grief for selecting Scott Alport as his sports editor instead of me. <laughs> He's like Scott Alport was a sports editor. Nate's choice, uh-huh. and I my we were buddies since sixth grade, uh-huh. and my name was in the hat too. And I I I said the same thing in nineteen <laughs> like. So I I actually found, found- so, so most of our crew um, is on. Well, we had to move to WhatsApp mm-hmm. because Sean Kirkwood is in uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. His phone is not the problem. It's Nate's because Nate... You can't talk to Canada? Nate it, was in Canada. Uh-huh. Um, so he did. He went to Westminster. Uh-huh. And then he went to the University of Maine for grad school. And then he moved to St. John's, Newfoundland for his PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there, I mean, he... You know, both of his kids were born there, mm-hmm. and and uh, they give twelve months paid maternity leave. Uh-huh. My sister was there. Okay, okay, <laughs> but whatever street vendor mobile provider uh-huh. he signed up for at the time, he still has. Uh-huh. So it's like we've and we've tried every iteration, uh, and there's eleven people. I mean, at one point it was like ten was the max in a text thread, and uh-huh. they've changed that. Um, but it's like we've taken every single person out and plug and then and and but if if nate's in there then kirkwood can't see it it's so weird anyway so we moved to whatsapp um and uh mostly we're just talking chiefs and mm-hmm. being silly oh, and that's fun. who all uh, is that so okay so sam milton was the most recent addition mm-hmm. um Kirkwood, matt smith sean smith me matt gronke ed lee mike is on there um, a guy named Sean Roberts who went to South, but but know. was real good buddies with everybody that went to Lawrence because mm-hmm. he was in a in yeah, area. or in a, in a house next to their house. I don't even know, mm-hmm. but um, and who else is Bill Mock? Oh yeah, Billy Mock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
um, who, I mean, he just, his, his oldest is a freshman at KU right Uh now. Oh, Um, really? That's funny. Yeah, it was, um, that's, they live out in Shawnee and that's kind of, um, they have a really nice modern house, Mm -hmm. which is valuable to my daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if we get invited to watch games over there, she's always, yeah. And, and when Maddie was, um, big time Hooper. Mm-hmm. Um, like when Shawnee Mission Northwest would have when the Lady Cougars mm-hmm. would have games and they would tweet mm-hmm. game day, it's like a picture of her. <laughs> I mean, she had all these schools like mm-hmm. compl- and, and and near when spring neared and graduation neared, she's like, I'm done with basketball. And it's like, oh shit, mm-hmm. okay. I mean, that's true. But anyway, um, so I, you know, Scott was at one point on Jeopardy. And right. and so That's right. old Harbinger stories came up, and we're talking this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, I bet. And I I found a Google image picture, and Seriously? and and I was saying nothing. Uh-huh. I was because I I'll uh, if I get I can easily get baited into being like, who is your sports? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, and I just threw that picture in there, and Nate's like, is that Scott? <laughs> <laughs> it is your sports editor, bro. I actually tried to look him up a while ago. Okay. It looks like he's a rabbi in New York somewhere. Really? Uh-huh. I should have given him a buzz on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> it was only like one, it's not an active rabbi, posi- like, I, I, there was one mention of Rabbi Scott Alport from Kansas. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, if you tap images, it's not far. Okay. And it's just like, it looks like Jeopardy. I mean, somebody took a picture of their TV or something. It was Scott. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so, aside from choosing your life partner three years before you were legally old enough to drink and having three children, um, and, and, and doing, so photography for KU Mm -hmm. and then what's the other piece? I teach two classes and I am a PhD student now. Really? uh Cool. Yeah. I just... I've been taking classes for a year and a half, but I entered the PhD program this fall. Okay. Um, I get one, I get, actually, no, I get 12 credit hours a year paid by KU, so I'm going to um, chip away at my PhD while I'm working. Because cool. I don't think I want to be a photographer past eight, uh, 55. Okay. Um, it's just really hard on your body. So. Okay. This is my exit plan. <laughs> okay. But I mean, uh, there's another, uh, what other piece communications wise do you do? You, you shoot photo. We were just talking about a mm-hmm. second. My team, there's another oh, element. Digital, well, digital media team. Okay. Um, okay. So we do all of the like photo, video, anything that goes on YouTube, anything that goes on Facebook, Instagram, any long format. Interviews. Not TikTok. Um, we do do TikTok, but we leave most of the TikTok content to students. Okay. Um, to generate. Okay. I did want to say, I brought an essay that I wrote. Get it um, out. Are you kidding me? Because it, it'll answer a lot of questions and give you some jumping point. You want me to read it? Yeah, please. Um, because, uh, I hope I have it. Can I leave it? I left it in my car. Um, I can pull it up on my phone. Um, yeah, I'll read it. So, let me read it first. And then okay. Okay. Then we can ask some questions. And I've never actually read it on my phone, so we'll see how this goes. Okay. Um, let's see. It's about five minutes. Is that okay. okay? Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and um, then I'll tell you how I ended up, well, part of the essay will tell you how I ended up writing it. Okay. Give me a sec. All right. Is so, it in your notes? No, it was published on someone's blog. Um, and she did, she had people write essays on what they do for a living. What do you do for a living? Um, and so you I, wrote it for this blog? I wrote it for this blog, how, yes. How long ago? Ten years ago. And it's going to be really interesting when you hear it. So where are you going to the URL where yes. it lives? And it's on workstew.com. Okay. But how is it not buried by now? How, how do you get right to it? Do you have the link saved or something? I, Cumin is like a very unique word in the title, and it is the first link when you type it in. Like in a Google search? Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cumin, there aren't very many cumins in the world. So. No, not with, a, not with a K. <laughs> there's there's a there's a Maxine Cumin who oh, is... Oh, yeah. Uh, She's an author. Yeah, children's yeah. author. Well, she um, wrote something famous. Oh, did she? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. You know her. But... It, She's one of the only people that come up in my Google searches. I think okay. them confuses it. And, well, and it's... before you read it, mm -hmm. um, that's super cool that you're going for your PhD. Nate. Mm -hmm. uh, what was his name? Uh, like salmon conservation. Oh. Um, that makes sense. He's yeah. like, um, I'm going to butcher this, but he's um, like over all of the fish hatcheries. In the country, and then his wife is also in some kind of sciency oh, cool. thing. I'm sorry, Kate. Um, she's an amazing person and super smart. Um, but he, there was a lot of politics associated, not like directly, but mm -hmm. sort of peripherally uh, affiliated with his um, his his program or his PhD. And it was like his mentor you have a person mm -hmm. like An advisor PhD advisor uh -huh. um changed or they left and and there was something about it that really altered the path and he was like i feel like he had to defend his dissertation oh no and it was it was when he i've you know for years i thought he was dr nathan wilkie mm -hmm. and going out to virginia he was like, I didn't finish. And I was like, what? And and then he explained it, and I was like, oh, yeah, fuck that. I mean, you have all the knowledge. Uh -huh. So he never actually got it? No. Oh, no. So I know. <laughs> but he's, a, you know, uh, Nate's an interesting creature. Uh -huh. the, the way that he presented it to me led, led me to believe that um, he's at peace with it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I would still. Well, doing the work that he does, he probably did it for the work and not for the. Right. Right. Unless he wants to teach, and then that might be a problem. Yeah. Well, uh, I did. So I was, um, when I was at Pitt State, um, I declared communications, and then I moved to Fort Lewis and switched to psychology. Mm -hmm. But I'm doing all of this stuff in communications, and I'm, I took four years Spanish and, mm -hmm. at East, and then three more in college. Uh, and I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, I'm going to be a writer. Um, so as I'm approaching like my final semester, it's like, you like are this close to minors in communications, literature, and Spanish pick one. Like, don't let this go to waste. Somebody was like, don't let that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'm already fluent. Mm -hmm. I've got three years. I was a staff writer on the newspaper and then I was the A&E editor. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the radio show. It's like, I've got all this communications experience. Well, I'll just do literature. Mm -hmm. So I did that and I loved it. And it sort of fueled my, my sparking passion for writing 
And so when I finished, I was like, I'm definitely going to go to grad school. Um, but what's it going to be? Is it going to be psych? Is it going to be, you know, English? And um, all the people in psych were like, if you go into psych, you know, do something like a, a, in the administrative direction, because you'll find unless you're going to go PhD uh, and get a practice, mm -hmm. you'll find that like real quick, you'll hit your uh, income potential ceiling mm -hmm. unless you have. And I was like, I don't that doesn't sound so I, it took me seven years mm -hmm. to decide and and I, I moved back here in 2000 and uh in 2005 i entered the creative writing program at umkc oh, did you? and that's what i got my master's in oh, so cool. i mean don't you know f with all the <laughs> what'd you say all the useless degrees right 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 um <laughs> like totally not totally very largely unemployable that's Gr the way they're greatest not, they're not useless greatest they're, experience oh, yeah. you know one of the greatest experiences ever mm -hmm. i absolutely loved it it really like i sort of had the ingredients to be a writer in a bag over my shoulder and this helped Sadly. me yeah uh-huh that's cool yeah that's really cool well you'll like this essay um okay i always get a little nervous reading it so um i read this so i've taught freshmen since 2018 um and anytime I teach, I read this on the first day of class, and it's a really good way. I'm sorry, you've taught how long? I teach in the fall only once a, once a year. Okay. Um, since 2018. Okay. So I'm on my, like, seventh or eighth class. Okay, so I'm going to read it now. Um, oh, my gosh. Okay. When I was two, my father told me, if you know what you want to do by age 32, you're going to be all right. I probably threw my Cheerios at him. <laughs> I was six when my father told me, if you know what you want to do by age 32, you're going to be all right. I thought 32 was old, ancient old, and I had all the time in the world. I was 12 when my father told me, if you know what you want to do by age 32, you're going to be all right. By then, all the career and personality tests had told me I was exceptional at math and spatial reasoning, and I should be an engineer. I wasn't sure I agreed. I was 17 when my father told me, if you know what you want to do by age 32, you're going to be all right. By this time, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Two years earlier, I'd picked up my dad's 1970-something Nikon camera and fallen in love with the lens. I took classes and put a darkroom in my parents' basement. I became photo editor of the newspaper and photographer for the yearbook. I spent all of high school behind the camera and under the dim red light of the darkroom. What did I want to be when I grew up? I wanted to be a National Geographic photographer. I wanted to follow Jane Goodall around the primate world. I wanted to capture the next Afghan girl. I wanted this, but also knew it was a pipe dream and never, ever going to happen unless I got really good. I was 21 when my father told me, if you know what you want to do by age 32, you're going to be all right. This time I was on the cusp of graduating college with a degree in American studies with a focus on race, ethnicity, and culture. I stumbled into the degree following a thirst for understanding people and identities. It was a discipline that taught me to read, think, and write, and I loved it. But I was no Cornell West, and I worried I'd spend the rest of my life waitressing. So I spent my fourth and fifth year taking engineering electives, including calculus, physics, and computer programming. It was coding that lit up my mind. It was like one never-ending puzzle, and I loved it. I began to think that maybe those career tests were right. Following graduation, I pursued a master's in computer science. I was 27 when my father told me, if you know what you want to do by age 32, you're going to be all right. 
This time I smiled and so did he. I'd figure out what I wanted to be. I just landed the best job in the world as a software developer at the University of Kansas Biodiversity Institute, writing biological collections management software for natural history museums. I got married, and three months later we found out we were pregnant rather unexpectedly. Within a year of landing the best job ever, we welcomed our whoopsie baby, and I had a <laughs> crisis of identity. Did I want to be a grown-up inhabiting the working world, or did I want to get lost in my child's world? I decided I wanted it all. Fortunately, my boss was more than accommodating. I became an anomaly in the mommy wars. I was a full-time employee who brought my baby into the office. With a bouncy seat next to my keyboard, I tickled his tiny toes while I wrote Java code. I was 32 when we welcomed our third born to the world. We also welcomed the rotavirus and influenza, and sick days quickly outpaced a crude leave. It became clear that being the mother I wanted to be and having the career I thought was for me was unsustainable. I quit my job as a software developer to stay at home and be a childware developer. <laughs> I was 32 when my father told me, your mother's in the hospital. The doctors say she has a tumor that runs from her ear, down her neck, along her spine, into her armpit, and onto her lung. The prognosis is not good. I was 32 when my father had a nervous breakdown, not the metaphorical kind, but literal catatonia. The doctor said he needed an institution and a dose of shock therapy or the prognosis would not be good. I was 32 when neither parent could care for the other. For the next year and a half, it didn't matter what I wanted to do. I did what I had to do. I got to wear my stay-at-home mom hat and my chemo buddy hat and my power of attorney hat. I might have looked all grown up, but I was navigating life like a six-year-old behind the wheel of a Mack truck. How I got through it without becoming an addict or clinically depressed is the topic of a story I will probably never write. After my mom passed, I found writing, and the words poured out of me. I read and wrote and wrote and read, and I used the voice inside my fingers to try to make sense of where I'd been, who I'd become, and who I wanted to be. I picked up my camera and began attending to Small Wonders, and it filled me with the love of life again. I was 35 when Kate Gase Walton butted into my life and did this thing that she does. She asked me, what, will you, what do you do? Will you write about it? Little did she know, it was a loaded question, as virulent and unsettling as this year's flu. It's been two years since Kate first asked me to write this essay. I wish I said I, could, I blew it off, but I didn't. I obsessed about it. Countless times I closed my eyes and asked myself, what do you want to do? Again and again, I thought about where I'd been and what I'd done, and I thought about what I'd regret having never done, and the picture became clear. I wanted to live life in Kodachrome and capture it with the lens. So I took a plunge. I built a website and made a plan. I announced to the world, I'm doing it. <laughs> While 32 is my father's number, perhaps 37 is mine. I may not be a National Geographic photographer, but I'm on a path of passion and no regrets, and it feels better than all right. Dude, isn't, so good. Isn't that a good one? Yeah. So I wrote that. That was in 2013. And I started t taking pictures and started taking wow. like pictures of friends, kids, and then um, families. And then um, I did a family, and there was a woman who started something called the Vow Exchange, which was a high-end elopement venue. So it was like a little white chapel um, in Kansas City. And so you'd just like show up and everything would be taken care of for you and you mm. walk out the door. And so I was a photographer for that and did maybe 60 weddings. They were all like shot. So I do like three weddings in a day. Uh, and that's when I got really good just cause you have to really turn and burn baby. Yeah. Um, and you're working in the same environment. Um, so that was really good and did that for about two years when the job at KU opened up 
and I applied for it, and I got it. Um, and that's how I became a photographer. Wow. Right? What a story. Yeah. That's so cool. You can see why it's really good when I'm, like, t- talking to freshmen, just, like, being really, like, open and vulnerable and candid. Like, just I build a lot of trust, and there's, like, you can just – I start and you know everybody's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like their whole bot, like they're just like relax and you see trust and like it's just a really good way to bond and it just covers a lot of ground and it's entertaining um, and I like that um, we I do a lot of like how do you create the life that you want and we talk about creating mm. a vision that you want and God. it's a really good testament to like. 18 year olds need you, that. You create your vision and it can happen. And, uh, and I don't I, think get it. No, Often. they don't. No, they don't. And I'm really good at teaching that. And so that's that's how. So I've been teaching um, I taught like a generic freshman class. It's just goals, wellness, information literacy, social justice, those sorts of issues that first semester. And I co-taught. Um, but the next semester, I taught one called Creativity University and You. So it was all that stuff, but it was like through the lens of creativity. And then I taught that once, that was in the fall of 2019, my version of Creativity and University, sorry, Creativity, University and You. And so that semester we met with like visiting artists and mm. there, there's like interpretive dancers and like that sort of stuff. So we'd go meet them on campus and that was the way I did creativity. Then the pandemic hit and this is what I really like. So I interviewed lots of people. It's really interesting to see how the pandemic shifted people's like process and thinking and art and like people who are always painting like suddenly took a new format or a new size. Um, but anyway, so the pandemic hit and I was thinking about teaching in the fall as like social distancing was happening and you know everything was going virtual. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to teach, you know, experiential learning and visit with artists? And we did lots of interactive class stuff. And when you're sitting six feet apart and wearing masks, how are you? So I started just like, while everybody was watching, like binging on Netflix, whatever it was during lockdown, I was like creativity, you know, just searching Amazon and just started ordering book after book after oh, cool. book after book. Um, and reading and, them all? And reading them all. Wow. Yeah. I, I was just, I was kind of obsessive about it. It was definitely, you know, everybody had like their thing. Yeah. Either they gardened or they ran or they, whatever. (laughs) Mine was like reading about creative. So I read like 12 books over the course of that summer um, and came across uh, Carol Dweck is someone, you've heard of the growth mindset. I think so. Growth mindset. She's the one who kind of coined the phrase. um, And so I started reading that. And so it got more into like creative thinking as opposed to creativity, like creative output. And so I've been teaching that sorry that that fall I taught I taught in-person hybrid synchronous so I like this is like this some people are there and some people are on 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 the the camera on projection um and it was just I mean it was was a clusterfuck (laughs) it was was really stressful if you would have said it was seamless and smooth I would have been like bullshit yeah, yeah Um, but I was able to like talk about mindset and talk about how the pandemic had shifted and talk about how you find like creative solutions to problems and looking at like a problem that we'd all never into. So there are lots of real life examples of how people were like changing their mindset and adapting what they're doing. So it became this really interesting way to like kind of navigate and teach during the pandemic. And I really got interested in it and about that time. I think I started journaling a lot. Mm. Um, pen and paper? I, which, yeah, pen and paper, which I did all through high school and college. And you have them still? As, as soon as these came out, I thought, what? You said, do you still have them? Yes. Cool. Yes, I've kind of poked through them, but I haven't read all of them. But ever since I got this, I used to write before bed was kind of like my thing. I, then, at some point, I was going to ask, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, if you're a person that is, uh, I got to put my butt in the chair, mm-hmm. like, are you 
uh, somebody that hits the same time every day? Or no. Are you all oh, over no, the place? No, all over the place. All, like all over the place. And it was, and so I was riding through the pandemic. You know, I was like going to Shimish Park and I'd sit in the car and like just dig it out of the house and, and ride in the car. Um, and I, in hindsight, I look back and I, I journaled for about six months and then I signed up for a PhD class, like graduate level. Wow. Class. Like it was just, it, there, there's like some sort of inertia that like happened. Sure. And so, because I'd always, well, ever since I started back at KU, at that point you could get one free class a semester paid okay. for. And I was like, I should do this. Free, edu- you know, free education business supports it. You can take whatever, you, you know, you've got all of KU and you can take whatever you want. You don't have to pay for it. I was like, but it took me like seven years of living life. You know, I had kids young, you know, you know, it's like to have 10 and 13 year olds. So there just wasn't time. But at that point I was like, I'm going to take a class, but I didn't know. I did. Well, I knew I wanted to do more school, but I didn't know if I wanted to do an MFA or if mm. I wanted to go back to American studies or if I wanted, you know, maybe to go into film. I was same like looking at psychology, look, look communications, journalism. Do I want to, you know, go get a marketing degree? So I was looking at all these things, but none of them felt right. Mm. Um, and at some point... I did a portrait, uh, sorry, my partner did a portrait and I was like holding the reflector and it was one of, KU had hired like, I think like 10, they called them foundation faculty, but they were like mid-career top tier, like heavy hitters with super salaries, like the kind where like aren't typical academic, it was part of some initiative and he's a leader in the the, um, field of entrepreneurial education. And so while I'm talking to him, I was like, yeah, I've always wanna go back to school. And I was telling him how I got American studies and I was computer science and I was a photographer. He's like, you should do a PhD with me. And I was like, huh? And I, I, he, he was, he's technically a professor of educational psychology. I was like, whatever, what is that? Like, what is that? So, but that was like, so that's sad. That's not like, even real, bro. Right, right. So that sat on the back burner yeah. like, for, the, for yeah. the last three or four years. Cool. And so as I was coming back, I was like, educational. And so I kind of like, I was like, maybe education. Like, I really enjoying, te- like I was teaching. Sure. And I was really enjoying it. And so I looked and KU has an educational psychology program. Um, and so the first class I took was the neuroscience of motivation and emotional behavior. And what a was, mouthful. What? What a mouthful yeah. of a course title. Right, right. My sister is a behavior neuroendocrinologist. She's got her PhD and teaches um, kidneys. Is neuroscience. That? What? Endro, endocrine, is Neuroendocrinologist. Behavioral neuroendocrinology. She studies, but does that have to do with kidney function? No. No? No. She studies birds. It's uh, Oh. <laughs> the way that hormones affect behavior, okay. basically. Okay. Um, in the brain. Sure. So she, she in particular studies birds. She cool. gets them to mate and then like tries to make them jealous and then cuts open the brains to see like, what's going on, what hormones are like triggering anger and Where? territory. She's in um, Minneapolis at the University of St. Thomas. Okay. So I've always like had this like world of neuroscience that has kind of been peripheral to me. And Older always, sister? No, younger. Younger. And then all it, through the 90s. Just the two of you? Just the two of okay. us, yeah. Um, all through the 90s and all through college, I always, I liked magazines. I always subscribed to magazines. And my favorite magazine was Scientific American Mind. And so that looking at like how the mind works and how. Hmm. And so it's kind of like, I'm not surprised I ended back there. So I took that class. I took I took three classes, one each semester, and then just decided to apply to the PhD program last fall. Okay. 
got accepted in the spring and I'm officially a PhD student now. Wow. So, yeah. So you're taking one class and teaching one class. I'm teaching two classes. And what and are those? taking one class. Um, I'm teaching the Creativity University in U, okay. which is the freshman seminar. Mm -hmm. I have 19 freshmen and then a similar class for the honors program called the Creative Mindset. So it's kind of the same stuff, but it's a little more rooted in neuroscience and it's a little more they're honor students so i can do a lot more with them because, those are the two that you're teaching yeah. and the one you're taking is called which one am i taking uh human <laughs> human development through the lifespan oh yeah okay so. i remember we had, I had a similar similarly named course oh yeah as a so, as a sophomore as a sophomore yeah in, in undergrad yeah um wow yeah um so do you have um you know pretty firm uh to bed and to rise times with yeah. all of this going on for the most part okay. yeah uh, and one of the things i teach is like holistic wellness and all of the pillars to like being your optimized self and mm. sleep eight hours is pretty non-negotiable i know um, well i mean it, sh it should be for everybody but. Uh, um it's it's not and i noticed like a whole change in me when i started doing that and, you know i used to be like stay up till three writing and then get up at seven like but when i go to bed at 10 every night and wake up at seven every day um my life flows a lot easier yeah. <laughs> yeah. i stayed up till midnight last night because i took the day off today and then i was dragging all day like well, well, got... why'd you take the day off and why'd you stay up so late um <laughs> took the day off because I work a lot of overtime hours um, mm. at my, you know, it's, I work, re so I shot late night and football games. So there's a lot of evening oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I need to like flex out every yeah, once in a while. Yeah. And since I had you, I was like, I'll just, I'll take the day off that way. My brain's not all zapped and I can just, and so I spent the day and I stayed up late last night because in my honors class, a couple weeks ago, we went to the library, um, to the, the library makerspace. And there's a librarian there who is a certified serious play Lego master. So there's like, you go through extensive training that's really expensive, but basically it's working with adults and Legos to like deal with ideation and problem solving and that sort of stuff. Wow. And so she did a, just a, like her, the typical workshop, I think is like four hours. Like when she go, if you were to like go into a business and work with middle managers. Um, so we just did a 45 minute class session. And so, you know, she gives each person a little package of Legos and then... So, Random. Um, no, they, they they were all kind of matching. And okay. all, I think there's some strategy uh -huh, to like, uh -huh. that type of pieces, but it was just like a pile about that big. And then, so in, in the class, we made vision boards and we're going to make a vision board for a research question for them. And so we created, you know, a vision of yourself out of Legos and then a vision of the research, like a research question with wow. Legos. And so it was just a really, like the kids all love Legos and it kind of takes them back. And it was really amazing to like hear them talk about what it was. And a couple of them said that it really helped them like formalize some thoughts in their head that were kind of nebulous that like came out as they're building it. Cool. Um, so it was really cool. So I want to do it with my other class. Mm. And my son's a Lego nerd, and I'm like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do it myself. I thought about taking about, the, I was like, I'm gonna try this myself, and so I spent all of last night like digging through Legos, like trying to figure out, like trying to replicate kind of what she had like, mm. as far as like the types of things. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's just like big old buck. So I was just digging through Legos until, and finally I was like, you have to go to bed. And then so today I spent like three hours just 
And it's like a meditation. Like, Chilling. That was my favorite thing with my son was like sorting. Like I didn't like building Legos. I love sorting Legos. Oh. I don't, I don't know what it is. Oh. Like by size or by color or by type oh. or whatever. So it's wow. kind of like a. We're all about sets. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like uh, the, the Millennium Falcon. Yes. And well, we're about that. Okay. But there's also the the pre-obsession with like the when I'm a little kid and I don't give a shit so all that's been broken down so we have tons there and then my mother-in-law saved my husband's late and so there's probably like a Tupperware bin about this big and it's all the old school like Legos from the 80s wow Um, so we've got all those so I was just picking through and getting all that sort of stuff so that's what I've been doing the last 24 hours um so and what is what does your husband do IT. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys are 19 and 13 and then one in the middle? Is that? Yes, 17. And so, I mean, are you, are you, are there things that you still need to do on a daily basis for your 13 year old or is? 15. It's 15. Is 15. the youngest? Yes. Oh, sorry. Okay. No, no. She's like that close to like leaving the house as soon as we let her. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, uh, that's why I'm starting a PhD now. Right. Uh Right. I mean, I, you know, um, I don't know. I try not to be too hard on myself, but, um, you know, six, uh, maybe there's a snooze in there and then it's up and, uh, they both have to practice piano. Um, and and I, I don't want to say I go out of my way, but I mean, I'm thinking about it, uh, the night before and when I get it, what am I making for breakfast? Mm-hmm. So something hot, something different than yesterday. And mm-hmm. so then, and then getting ready and teeth and hair and shoes and all the things. And I mean, and then seven thirty-five. Our school is just two blocks away. So seven thirty-five is our walkout time. Mm-hmm. So I mean like an hour and a half is literally like, like we have all the time in the world until we're running late. <laughs> um, and it's like, they would be fine. They could, I mean, she, she could, she could fry an egg. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, they could get themselves ready. They could, you know, make breakfast. They could get, get all their things and get out the door, but it would be flirting with disaster Mm -hmm. 10 out of 10 times. People would be yelling. mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, the two of them would probably, you know, get into an argument or whatever, but it's like, I, you know, so it's a really weird line to walk as a parent when you approach this kind of topic because it's like I so look forward to them being a little bit more independent, but I also don't want them to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, there's four million things that I wish I would have done differently when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, she's just she's she's a two days before christmas baby oh, mm-hmm. and she is she cannot get to 13 fast enough mm-hmm. um and you know i just buckle up blair oh dude i know it's now to now to 15 and a half is just it's brutal yeah yeah <laughs> well um i mean i just you know wish they were babies still mm-hmm. um but also it's like when you do get to have some semblance of independence, like I can peel back and, and maybe give that time to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it'll it'll be here before you know. It'll be here before you know. Yeah, for sure. exactly. Uh-huh. Um, so you and younger sister, mm-hmm. um, born and raised. Yes, and and 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what? What did you weren't at Indian Hills? Yeah. You were. Mm-hmm. Well, we would have been there at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I don't remember you from middle school. Huh. I think I was very much in my grade in like middle school. So or. I mean, maybe that's I, it, that we had those out too the other night. Um, but what about what was elementary school for you? Highlands. Hi, okay, so that's Bill was yeah, a Highlands that's kid. How I know Bill. Um, and then how did your folks meet? Uh, they met. Oh yeah, um, my dad was being set up with my mom's best friend on a blind date, but she got engaged somehow or whoever so my mom kind of was a stand-in mm, okay mm-hmm. huh um and did they were they fo- folks that put music on in the home to listen to when you guys were little yeah a lot of classical music okay interesting a lot of classical are they music. i mean the things that you have just been describing academically um, and professionally for yourself and, and with brief mention for your sister, I call that smart people shit. <laughs> I imagine you did pretty well at East. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, so, th- I mean, if they're listening to classical music, they're probably smart people too. Probably. They were both PhDs. They were. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they were both professors at UMKC. Um, I, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to like dwell on this, but um, you've been in, on my mind a lot. Over the last few months, um, my uh, my dad passed in '02, and in January, uh, my sister and I, mostly my sister, um, moved my mom into a community living place. Um, she has her car there, and you know, does all the thi- but like her memory is dog shit. Like you know, she just nothing is sticking. Um, and she's got a really bad hip and a really, really poor diet. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, right now we're in my poor sister. Um, Tiffany, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, she, I don't know how many prescriptions she has, um, but her thyroid is out of control um, and um, she will not get cleared for a hip replacement mm-hmm. surgery, which she needs badly until her labs look better. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, going back a year, year and a half ago, Tiff bought one of these pill boxes and, mm-hmm. you know, it did nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, and then transitioned to like, there's some sort of an alarm mm-hmm. that goes off and she, that's good, you know, uh, still. Um, so like, Two Sundays ago, we had family celebration for my son's birthday, um, and she, you know, she doesn't know anything really that's going on in my life because there's not really a point mm-hmm. in telling her, mm-hmm. um, because I'll just have that same conversation oh, fifty more. T- yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the way out the door, she's like, "You know, I'm gonna, ha- I'm having, I- I'm gonna have that, uh, I'm gonna have a procedure done soon." And I said, "A procedure? What are you talking about?" She said, well, I need a hip replacement. I was like, you've needed a hip replacement for blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, cool. I mean, you know, keep me in the loop. And then I called my sister and she's like, no, you know, I mean, so, and, and she, um, our relationship has, uh, been strained for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, you and your mom. Yeah. Uh Uh, like we get along, Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
um, but we don't see eye to eye on, uh, or, or now it, it's moot. It doesn't matter. But, you know, for many years we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And, um, she, um, my, you know, I, she would probably be happier on a much higher level if Tiffany had kids because mm-hmm. they're very close. Oh. I mean, she drives Tiffany more batty than she drives me because they in, they interact yeah. a lot more often um and like like she was really uh, i mean and she still was very you know high functioning uh when my dad died but um very she was very very weird mm-hmm. um in that um you know like she she just couldn't see her role mm-hmm. her and her space in the grief and the loss, but really like wanted to be a part of everything that everybody was going through. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it, you know, she, a lot of really weird and, and unintentionally hurtful things and Mm -hmm. just a lot of oddities. And, and then a year later, her grief was born Mm -hmm. and it was like, dude, I just, fucking wash this outfit you know like right. I, I can't just, go back yeah yeah <laughs> um so um i since starting this i mean you mentioned uh stuff with people and covid and pandemic and um so like the guy who who has the theater in shawnee um this uh historic but i mean there's like uh original pictures uh, around from when this thing was like you know they're black and white. Uh-huh. I'll tell you that much. And it it sat empty forever. Oh, wow. And so there was all of it. Like he and his brother, uh, you know, um, came up with this plan to get this thing uh-huh. and and bring it back to life and remodel it and revitalize it. And there were so many hurdles and and red tape and weird scenarios. And uh, they finally, uh, like it, like I mean they were going to cut ribbon and announce a grand opening pandemic. And, and the, the seats are like very, very nice and it's, it's set up for film. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so then they had to pivot and like, well, we got to do live shows and it's like, well, these fucking seats are not coming out. I mean, mm-hmm. so they have a very small, uh, dance floor, you know? Um, and, uh, Right. I, I don't know the exact timing, but it was like, okay, we're, we're ready to roll, ready to get this thing open. We've pivoted. This is now our new, and, and his brother passes away. Um, and, and lots of, um, folks who like, um, open a live music venue or a restaurant or a bar. And it's like, they just need a signature on this final thing mm-hmm. and they're ready to go. And they have needed revenue for ever because mm-hmm. the spend is all you know whatever small business loan or whatever it is mm-hmm. it's like all of this investment and now you need to start getting, gaining some of that pandemic hits mm-hmm. um i had a guest on here whose both parents died it, like boom and then yeah. boom and not you know um they had, they had health stuff but, um uh dad ultimately ended up having kidney failure and then mom um like even though they for years sort of cobbled together a functioning household mm-hmm. that, you know, was once here and it kind of fell to here, but it was still manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it got to the point where like 
literally clutter would be a stick in the spokes because it's like meds are out, but there's a stack of shit on top of them and they can't find them anywhere. Mm -hmm. Things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, dad was doing dialysis and so on and so forth. And then, and then mom, I mean, as soon as dad was gone, mom's health. And then she was, so I hadn't seen her in a handful of years, not Mm -hmm. as long as, but, um, and it was like, neither one of them got COVID, Mm -hmm. but it was a thing that she, and anyway, for folks that have had that happen, you know, that I've never that I can recall heard somebody say, um, I'm an orphan mm-hmm. and not referring to like Annie, you know, right. in that kind of scenario. And I was like, huh? And then I was like, oh, wow, that is that is really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I've, you know, I've felt that way. For some time, I have three younger sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, my folks got oh, yeah. divorced, and then they each remarried. And my dad had two daughters. Um, okay. um, and so, you know, he was the he had lots of functional issues of his own, mm-hmm. um, which is why he died when he did. But uh, also, like one hundred percent, the only person that I'm going to go to for advice and counsel. Mm-hmm. And when he died, I was like. Now, what? now what? I mean, like, how do I, I don't know. Well, I don't know where the, I know where the DMV is, but you know, like <laughs> it's shit like that, right. that, you know, Hey, you, I know dad. Yeah. And it's like, fuck, I took that shit for granted. Mm-hmm. And then the absence is so anyway, um, I, you've been on my mind a lot. Um, I, I feel for you and, um, really remarkable, everything that you have mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, if you don't, get told kudos mm-hmm. often you should i mean well, so i try to t- i try to tell myself some of that well you know it's there's like more to that story so um and it's kind of an interesting so writing this made me realize that i could do anything like and anything that i had told myself i couldn't do like i was the one that was telling me that i couldn't do it and so kind of like opened the store and i started like doing the things that I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be a National Geographic photographer. So I ended up at KU, right? And one of the first things I went after, I went after was um, there's a paleontologist who had a Tyrannosaurus Rex dig out in Montana. And I was like, I, I want, that's my National Geographic adventure. That's, <laughs> yeah. what, I, that's what I want. And so I'm I, going. Um, so I talked to my boss. I was like, we need, we need to follow this researcher. He's like, no, we don't have the budget for that. And I, I kept pushing. And I'm, I am a very pushy, like, persistent person. And it was no, no, no. And finally I was like, fuck it. I'm, I'm going to take vacation time. And I'm just going to go out there with them. And I'm going to take pictures. And KU will use them. And I'm just going to make it happen. I'll, I'll, I'll camp. I'll do this. And I started to, like, try to get a videographer, my teammate, to go with me. And as I was doing, making the plans, my boss was like, well, let me see, let me see, what, we, <laughs> let me see what we can do. Uh-uh. Not now. <laughs> that window closed for right. you, buddy. Well, no. He found, he found some funding for a hotel. And he went and our videographer went and I went out to Montana and followed these researchers for, I think it was about a week. So we drove out there together. Um, and while we're doing it, I, you know, I... You're there for a while, so I took out a pickaxe and I'm digging. And I actually like, like one of the specimens that goes with the T Rex. I like pulled out of the stone, like found it, and thought that was like really cool. And then I went to Wikipedia. I was like, how many T Rexes are there? And like, there's only like 50 to 100 T Rexes in the world, and I've touched wow. one of them. Yeah. And so it was just like, and then once that happened, I was like, 
oh, like, and so I just kind of like started doing all the stuff that I had always wanted to do in, cool. in this sort of way. And then, um, so I started at KU in 2015, right? So I spent that first couple of years just like on the floor of Alton Fieldhouse. You know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing everything, really enjoying it. Shot Bill Clinton, you know, just left and right making the world and um june of 2017 i uh, got diagnosed with breast cancer you did yeah did you uh, a weird question did mm. you post about that i have you have every once in a while every once in a while, like on that anniversary I, i'll post something sorry. it's like well, no it's i don't post about it all that often um and that's a really good story that i would love for the podcast to hear um because it's really important so i um was we were getting ready to go to spring break with my kids. And so I was still still carrying some of like the baby weight around, you know, my I think my youngest was like eight or nine, still like didn't have my body, still and we were gonna be going to Jamaica. Um, and my you know, you know what it's like with kids. Every year they need a new swimsuit because they gain two inches. And just don't talk to me about sneakers, man. I know. <laughs> well then they get old enough and they're wearing your sneakers, uh, which is a problem. Uh, but, uh, where was I? Um, Jamaica, Jamaica. baby weight. So we're going to the mall to go try on swimsuits for the girls. I was like, I really need a swimsuit too. I don't have one, you know, I have body image. And I, and I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to try on swimsuits with a girl, you know, cause I, I I was always around the kids. I was like, I don't want to try on swimsuit with the girls. And I was like, wait a second, Meg, you know, body positivity. It Mm. comes from modeling, like being comfortable. These are these like quiet moments where you can like you know be okay with your body not talk about yourself not like fixate on stuff and I was like okay you're gonna try on a swimsuit in front of your girl so they were like eight and ten or something like that and so they got their swimsuits and we were at Nord Nordstrom and I um went to go put on my swimsuit and just took off all my clothes and I was just standing like not like judging and like looking at my waist but just standing there looking at myself as I was getting ready to put on my swimsuit in the changing room in the changing room and my girls were there right there with me and I look and um on my nipple there's a little shadow like next to my nipple and I was like "Hmm." I'm a photographer so I see light and shadow like I know where like shadows this isn't because of where the fixture was placed well it was it was top it but was top it, down. Um, but it meant but something. It was like, it was not on the nipple. It was just outside. It looked like a little bug bite. And I remember I went and I looked at it and I remember my, my daughter, John, was like, Mommy, what is it? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, you know, and I tried on my swimsuit and um, kind of like kept an eye on it for a little bit. And it was, it's, was still there. So I went to my doctor, my gynecologist, and she looked at it and she's like, she's like, I'm not too worried about it. It's, it's it doesn't seem to be anything. We can we can send you off to imaging. I was like, okay, yeah, I'd like to do that. So she sent me to imaging, and I had a mammogram and ultrasound, um, and the results came back nothing. And I remember I went I went to that appointment and found out, and I called my husband, and I was crying because I I could see the bump, like I could look at it. I was like, what do you mean you don't see anything on the ultrasound? What do you mean you don't see anything? And I cried. He's like, you should be celebrating. And I was like, I was like, I'm, I'm looking at a bump and there's no. So I sat with it a little bit longer um, and it didn't go away. So this is over. the. You course. must be 187 in your soul. I, I mean, know, right? <laughs> like just uh, sage right? wisdom just pouring out of you uh, often. Uh, no, no. Well, <laughs> Only around 18 year olds. OK. <laughs> um, uh, and so 
I went back to my doctor and I was like, it's still there. And she's like, well, she's like, she's like, I, it's kind of outside my realm. Let me send you to a breast surgeon. Um, and someone who like really specialized, this is my gynecologist OB. And she's like, let me send you to yeah. a breast specialist. And so I went to breast specialist and she did, she looked at, she's like, yeah, she's like, it doesn't seem to be anything. She, um, and, and, but she could tell I was concerned and she's like, well, we could, we have biopsy it if you want. And I was like, yeah, I want to biopsy it. And so she biopsied Pull it. Pull out a piece yeah. internally or externally or a combination. They, um, well, I had two surgeries. So they, I think this was just like, they did a little slice and took some. Okay. No, no, no. Sorry. She took, she took all of, she took the whole she thing. Had. Yeah. It was like, it was like. It was smaller than a pinky fingernail. Uh, smaller than like half the size of a tic tac. Like maybe. Okay. Okay. Just a butt, like a regular old mosquito bite. Um, and so she took it, um, and it came back as cancer. So I had three doctors: uh, my first doctor, <laughs> the, the radiologist, and then this other doctor. All like dismissed me. I'm not worried about it. Um, but my mom, when my mom, the it was breast cancer that that it was metastatic breast cancer when I was writing in my essays that had come back. So I, it was, I was hypervigilant and really like just concerned about breast cancer. It was not something, and it was like, I mean, you were, it was awful. It was horrible. The year my mom was dying and my dad was breaking down, it was just really traumatic. Um, so anyway, it came back as breast cancer and I remember oh my god I'm so sorry I'm so sorry <laughs> these you know, these doctors yeah, that weren't worried yeah, about it yeah. but they all like I put I pushed and w when I look the reason why I want to say this is because if I had not had my mom who had died of breast cancer I would have been like oh I'm fine you know they would have given me that reassurance Dude, three doctors told me I'm good yeah three doctors let's go to Jamaica uh-huh um so so that also a like sowed a lot of distrust in the medical system oh, for me just a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also there were a couple of things that were going on at the time that like were kind of like some weird flags. I was sweating at night a lot, and like visible on the sheets when you get out of bed. Sometimes, yeah. Okay. Kind of, kind of drenched, and then um, my body odor smelled not like me. Cause I would, I don't like who's that, and but it was, it was me. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I told you to quit coming in here. <laughs> Uh, and those were two things that now, in hindsight, they went away after I had my breast cancer removed. No. So those are two things that Whoa. have always been kind I, of... And does it is it known that those are no. symptoms? No. Well, it is known that s some people and some animals can smell some diseases. Um, there are some people who can smell sure. Parkinson's. There's dogs who can smell tumors, that sort of stuff. So I think I've always just been a hype. You know, I noticed a little bump. I've just noticed little things and seem to notice tipping points and little like when things are just kind of like. Um, but anyway. Uh, wow. I had that initial and then I had another surgery where they had to check for the margins. I didn't need chemo. Um, check for the margins. Like uh, so big? when they take out a tumor, um, like she took it out, she didn't know it was cancer, so she just took it out. But they have to go in and make sure that no cancer cells were left where the like. This is a separate procedure than yeah, the removal of the yeah. bite. Yeah, because so there I, was more in there. No, they had to make sure there wasn't any oh, more in there. Okay, she had caught all of it. So I had this little pie piece taken out of my nipple. Okay, just like a little, um, not too deformed, fortunately. Um, so that for all the nude posing that you yeah. have since done. Yeah. Well. That's my next story. So as I'm getting ready to like start all these procedures, um, I had a, also had a lymphectomy where they took a couple lymph nodes out. Um, and I didn't quite know if I was going to lose my hair. You know, it was in that early stages. I didn't hmm. know if I was going to have chemo. 
And we, I remember I was driving with my husband, and I was thinking about losing my hair, and my maybe losing my boobs or having a mastectomy. And I said, I was like, I should go, I should go do some boudoir um, before my body gets deformed. And his head whipped around. He's like, Would you really? What is that? Uh, na- like naked pictures. Oh, B U D O I R. B O U D I O U R. Okay. It's French. Okay. Boudoir, boudoir photos. Um, I didn't get completely naked. I just wore, you know, like lingerie. But he whipped it. He was like, would you really? And I was like, oh, I guess I have to. <laughs> Can't so- put that toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> no. And so before I started all that treatment, my co-photographer at the time, uh, well, when I had started, she had a photography business and one of her specialties is boudoir. So I worked with her and made a little boudoir. So once I got breast cancer, rather than doing all the things I always thought I would do, I started doing all the things I never thought I would do. Mm. Um, and so I did the the boudoir session, session I ziplined across. I don't remember the- seeing you post those pictures. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Um, they're pretty. I mean, they're not super risky. I like. I, I, I mean, but it makes my husband happy, which is good. Um, but I ended up um, the next year. Uh, I was. We were on a a shoot out. We followed some. Um, geologists out to Colorado, researchers like field camp, and we were covering the mountain Colorado. Where? Um, near the Royal Gorge. Okay. Where was it? Blue, Ma- Blue Mountain? Blue Mountain? Uh, hmm. I forget. Where were we? It was near the Royal Gorge. Is that so- the southeastern part of the state? Like s- Sand Colorado Dunes, Springs, Colorado Springs. Yeah. I think a yep. little bit farther mm-hmm. west, maybe. Um, and a, so it was a team, me with six guys um which is what a lot of my photography work life is like me and a bunch of dudes um but we were we were there and tim andy andrew justin me six of us total um and andy is my was my photography partner he and i both were not interested in ziplining across the royal gorge but everyone else was and i and it was just like i'm gonna do all the things that i never thought i would do and so i ziplined oh shit okay yeah um and that was a bit i would never have done it if i'd not been with my like i never would have done with my friends i never would have done it with my family i only did it with my co-workers because we we were always going on we're getting up early we're going on adventures we're climbing on rooftops so it was just like part of the job sure and it was it was parkour it was a lot of fun until i I was like going across and I'm coming in and I'm like, nobody told me how this ends. Like, how, how does it end? Right. <laughs> Hopefully not with you. Right, right. No, you just hit a big spring and you kind of bounce. Mm. But as I was coming in, I was like, I, I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> Who just zip lines across a canyon without like asking like. I jumped out of a plane in a very similar fashion. Did you? Not very far from there, uh-huh. just a little bit north, and there was a group going, and it was 200 bucks, and I was like, I mean, I, I can't because I don't have any money. And the uh, place that I, the restaurant I was working at at the time, two brand new owners that came together and sort of partnered, and one was like uh, specializing in the bar, and the other was more hotel operations, and one thought that this was a partnership, and the other was like, waiting for the other guy to fuck up so he could like usher him out and it could be his. And so he came to me one night and he was like, um, I need you to not come in for your bartending shift tomorrow. And I was like, dude, like, I don't, I thought we were pretty clear, like how poor I am. Like I can't not. And he's like, and he took his checkbook out and wrote me a check for $200 and says, don't come in tomorrow. Like he wanted Friday dinner service to tank. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I guess I'm going to go jump out of a plane. <laughs> and then, 
it was like uh, the plane wasn't there, and then the pilot wasn't there, and then uh, warning sign, warning sign. Yeah, and then we finally, you know, it's it's four. It's four people. There's four of us, but we got to go in twos. Like they're gonna go on one run with the first of, and and so I end up being first. Mm-hmm. And it's t- tandem. You know, you're attached at the hips and the shoulders, and the door is just a black tarp that they like roll up and mm-hmm. fasten. And you know, you're the whole. It's nine thousand feet, so the whole ride up, I'm basically in this dude's lap. Mm-hmm. We're fastened, but we're not tight. And then when we get to nine thousand, he tightens everything up and scoots his butt. Mm-hmm. to the edge of this and so i am literally dangling and i just was like this is what crazy feels like like <laughs> i hope it goes away here in a minute and he'd coached you know here's what you have to do we both have a cord and we both have an altimeter and um you know do this with your arms and legs and he jumped and i tried for what felt like an eternity to get air in my lungs so that i could scream <laughs> because i immediately you know, oh, really? it's yeah. like mountains, plain, mountains, plains a little farther, mountains, plain. And I'm just, <laughs> and he, he's like, and we hit the the spot and he's like, pull. And I now I've got air, air and I'm screaming. He's like, pull. <laughs> and probably said it a third time. He's like, jeez, and did it himself. Mm-hmm. Did uh, yours? Well, he, whichever uh, one. It uh-huh. didn't matter. But and so then like we did some steering and then and, and landed and. Uh, the other two that were going to go up next were at the field in a van and like somebody took a pic. That was a great picture of me, like veins in my head. And I'm, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I turned to my tandem guy and I was like, um, how'd I do? And he's like, you did one thing. And that was immediately grabbed my ass. <laughs> Both hands and like until I was showing you, that's what that's all you did, and you screamed a little bit, uh-huh. and I was like, yeah, that was kind of terrifying. Like I can't fucking believe that. Just like yeah, okay, here we go. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, but She's not yeah, fully thinking through well, the whole thing until yeah. I got a piece of paper that says I did it. Right. Um, that's that's so okay. So you're. Uh, in Colorado and doing that with your photography people, mm-hmm. you've done your boudoir mm-hmm. thing. You're now cancer free. I am. Yeah. I hit my when that, thought, when yeah. your that story's taking place. Was that? Yes. That okay. was after. Okay. Uh-huh. Man, that, um, that story is wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that you read. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, how many times did you go back to it for editing i worked on it for two years okay it reads like uh i mean has it been published anywhere besides that blog blog, i mean it reads like out of you know the new yorker Mm -hmm. um it's it's a really like and that's why i'm always like let me read my essay because it's really it's really it's great and you do a good job reading it i um the woman who i wrote for she was a really good editor and i had just read stephen king's kill your darlings or whatever it is so i i was able like she that, there was a lot of noise and there was a lot of muck and she just cut, 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 cut. Like, I remember she sent it back and she just like cut this, cut this, cut this. And all of a sudden it like just appeared as this amazing essay. So I I have um, 
build a lot of trust for having a really good editor. Like if I were to ever write a book, I just know hmm. that that will hmm. be an important part of the process because I, I just want to put every, like I just. Have you, you read know. Writing Down the Bones, yes, Stephen King? Yes. Oh uh-huh, God, uh-huh. It's like porn for me. I know, me. right? <laughs> like, and then what? You know? God, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I have made uh, more drunk Instagram purchases than I care to admit. Mm-hmm. Um, t-shirts, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like I, before I did one, I had more t-shirts than drawer space. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, one of the first ones I bought, it's just, and it's, I can't believe I haven't got rid of it yet. Mm-hmm. I've only had it for a couple of years, but it says write drunk edit it's sober, sober. I'm, yeah. and I'm like yeah fucking, and then I got it and like of every time it was clean I was like yeah I'm wearing that shirt and then I was like wait a minute um, if you've ever done that uh, when you go to your piece to edit it mm-hmm. sober like you the only thing I want to do is go back to the previous night or whatever when I wrote drunk and mm-hmm punch that guy in the teeth <laughs> and then kick him in the ribs because it is awful garbage right? it's just uh-huh. trap i mean yeah. it's like um that's why you need to write tipsy you need to write tipsy not drunk <laughs> i don't know but um you know uh, what's way truer than that stupid shirt uh is the writing is easy mm-hmm. the editing is where it, mm-hmm. it's hard well, I, I think I spend a lot of time in the editing process and less time in because I like when I do write, I will just like, write a sentence. And which is not time, which like, is not to say uh, there are times when you know writer's block is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know uh, whether it's okay, I'm going to start a new piece, but what? Or you're in a piece and you're like, I, I keep it moving. And you're like, but I don't know what happens next you know maybe that is because you need to have a good outline right. and a plan before you oh, start but it, but outline? it but it can also just flood mm-hmm. out of you i remember um in in a number of spots um i've uh for good stretches set 330 alarms mm-hmm. and i'm in the chair at four and i write till six or what, oh, and then start yeah. the day uh-huh. um and it, it can you know i remember being like uh, to, to, you know, two hours I should. And then it, I transition to word count and mm-hmm. it's like, I'm not coming up until I've got 2000 words down. Mm-hmm. And you know, there are days when that's a struggle and there are days when it's like, damn, I wrote 3,500 words and like, didn't even get enough second cup of coffee. Uh-huh. Um, so, but very powerful piece. Um, I, I, my, my big problem with that piece now is that I want to write the other side of that. Um, and for why the is longest, that a problem? What? Why is that a problem? Well, for the longest time, I didn't think the story was there yet. Um, but having lost my father, a lot's happened in the last probably year and a half that I, I feel like not just the chapters over, but like I'm on a new book. Hmm. Um, and I, I feel like that story can be told. And then just the time it takes. Like, I don't know when I would ever. And this sort of like, how do you, how do you, how, like, because it's got like such cadence and it's got that language and when it's got I, that rhythm. And do I like try to carry that over into another piece if it's like, and then it's really hard to recreate that because I'm in a completely different space and like the story's different. The voice is very uh, clear and mysterious at the same time. Like, uh, it's, it was almost.
almost like uh, you know, not not Samuel L. Jackson, but like a famous person was reading it, and and, and I think the cadence contributes to that, mm-hmm. and sort of that return to the age thirty two. Which when I was listening, I was like, was he really saying that? Like, well, you know, was he funny. really thirty two is a magical? Well, I, I, I like I worked on that for two years, and by the time I was done, I was like, did he really say that? <laughs> or was that just like something that I just like created? dreamt up? Yeah, yeah, and I just like I was starting to like doubt myself, and then. Like, I don't know, it was two months after I wrote that. I w- my sister was in town. We went to India Palace to go eat some buffet. And one of her best friends from high school came, was there. And she hadn't seen him in years. So he came and sat with us. And we were talking about my dad. He's like, I remember your dad told me, if you know what you want to do by age 32, you're going to be all right. And I was like, oh, my God. Verification. <laughs> can, can you record that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wow. No, but he but he he taught at UMKC and he your dad did yeah and he when I was in high school he started the EMBA he was kind of like the lead driver of the EMBA program the executive MBA program there. oh wow they hadn't had it before so he was working with like thirty year olds um, who were like trying to figure out their life so I think that's why that mm. that was kind of mm. like a, a a thing that he said um the other piece is doesn't thirty two sound so young now well yeah but. <laughs> I could have gone all episode without you saying that. Uh, but the other piece is uh, what he went through. Oh. I mean, um, you know, uh, by this point, we all know, we're all very well aware that for most of our existence as a, a nation or whatever, whatever cluster you want to assign to us that we have just mental health, you know, um, but um, that, is a very real thing. And, um, uh, if you spend 90 plus, whatever number percent of your life with quality mental health, and then that sort of like swings into the picture, like you want to keep that shit away, like a robber in the middle of the night, like, no, 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 not that, not that. Like I'll give me, you know, I'm, just for an easy example, give me a disease, you know, that I got to get cut open for and go through things and be in debt because of all that, but not that, mm-hmm. that terrifies me. And I, like I pained for him, you know, mm-hmm. here, just hearing that, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know him or, mm-hmm. but whew. it was, it was really, it was really, really incredibly tough. Um, Cause he, he was so far into his depression that my so my mom's cancer came back about the time I think that they maybe knew about it before they told people because my sister was getting married and I think my dad was kind of unraveling and had started taking some medication to deal with the anxiety which exacerbated which like caused him to go in a tailspin is kind of what I pieced together Hmm. um but by by that so my mom I think it was September when we found out it came back he um he didn't he it was like when the recession was happening hmm. um and he didn't meaning like 08 ish yeah, okay okay um and he didn't believe well he didn't think my mom should 
do any of her treatment because he didn't think they had money because he thought the banks were lying. He didn't think planes were flying. He was paranoid. He was delusional. He couldn't, like, he couldn't even, like, I brought her flowers and he, like, we argued for three hours about how I could afford to give my mom flowers because the whole world, you know, so he was, like, lost. It was paranoid and delusional. And so my mom's, like, slowly dying of cancer. And, God damn. And they'd been married for many, many years. And he made he made her last year a living hell, really. Like, he, like, didn't ever want her to leave the house. She shouldn't go out and have coffee because they can't afford it. Like, it was just a really, really... And we would, were trying to get him help. And He's just off on reality. Yeah. And well, and then, he, and then he was, like, he was in bed catatonic for weeks. He was, um, like, just wasting away, not eating. Um, Back then? Yeah. Yeah. And, then and in he... hindsight, he never got better. But he's he was around for another ten. Yeah, I think it was the onset of Alzheimer's, okay. exacerbated by like some anxiety and depression, and he um, he kind of he was going to get like a knee replacement. He, there was a little bit of like right after she passed away, um, didn't pass his pre-op exam um, because he'd had a minor heart attack and had to have two stents and then had the two stents and then just, he just never returned. He became a hermit. He lived in his house, um, till 2016. So eight years. Um, and his house, like I was caring for him. He never, he never called for birthdays, never called for mother's day. Didn't call me when I had cancer, like was just a hurt, like just completely just locked up in but, his house, but around, but around, I mean, he it, was feeding himself. He wasn't, he wasn't no longer working. He wasn't doing anything. He was just sitting around his house, reading newspapers, watching sports, whatever. Um, and that went on and not interacting with your sister either. No, she lives, she lives in Minneapolis. Yeah, right. But yeah. I mean, what? no, no, no phone calls. Like it took a, like early on, we didn't. We thought it was depression, and then once the depression had kind of passed, we thought it was. Per- then you like start holding them. Resp- like my dad doesn't love me. He's not calling. Why doesn't he call me on my birthday? Like why? Why didn't he call me to see how my like cancer went? So there's a really long period where I'm dealing with a lot of the. Uh, that's a lot. Picture day was today for him and tomorrow for her. So that's last year's. Just to, I. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. Um. So he. Uh, never got well um and i was slowly his house started falling apart like literally literally yeah, yeah like his washer stop or a dishwasher then at some point it, and finally um it was 2016 um and he was still driving the grocery store he lived in at 63rd mission and would go to prairie village so it was just a straight shot um and was still kind of feeding himself um do, do you remember gretchen gradinger she was in my class. We went to elementary school. We were really, 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 really um, good friends growing up. Um, and this is going to be a little sad. Um, about this time, her sister um, lived in Portland and was married to a guy named Brian. <clears throat> and he was a big cyclist. They were big outdoorsy, mm. um, Portland diehard, whatever. And they had met, they had a daughter who was like two or three. They'd met at a park near their house to have like a picnic dinner. And he'd ridden his bike to the park, and she and her daughter had taken their car. They had their picnic, and they were heading home. And her um, husband left on his bicycle first, and she packed up and went. And he was going through an intersection when a 90-year-old ran a red light um, and hit him, and he became a quadriplegic. Damn. And, I mean, it just, like, ripped their life. You know, they're trying to, like, so they spent a year trying to figure out life. Um, And kind of, I'd hear about the story. It was really tragic. And then um, 
it's gonna get really darker uh he ended up he was really resentful of his life and was really struggling i think dealing with being a quadriplegic because he'd been so active and his parents came to stay with them Hani was the sister and she was off doing something and he told his dad he was going going for a walk and drove himself right off of a pier in his wheelchair and committed suicide where in Portland oh in okay okay in okay and I found that out and all of a sudden I just like all this like once he passed like once he actually I, I can't maybe it was after I can't remember if it was before he committed suicide or um right after the accident but whatever it was I was like my dad could be that person like he couldn't pick up he couldn't figure out how to make a phone call he couldn't I was like uh, you know they they talk about personal liberty and like everybody like has a right to make you know when he was dealing with all this like at what point do I make him do something he has his own free will he's living his own life even though but at that point it became very very clear that he was a threat to other people like, your dad well getting behind the wheel uh, yeah i used i was like what yeah like getting behind the wheel like i i knew his decision making wasn't quick enough and it was just he's going to hen house in the village yeah hen house my in the village. my second job was hen house in the village? no oh. um it was safe oh. safeway, back oh, safeway. Then. Oh, yeah. but i worked you know where uh chill is it's a frozen yogurt place across yeah. the street it was tcby forever oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. i worked there um i worked at wade's for five years Wow. I know. Old people burning heaters, <laughs> eating toast. That, that's crazy. Uh, but, but right, you know, right around the time I started working there, um, just so it wades and then Mission Road mm-hmm. and, and where you go up into um, Mission Hills, Mission Hills and, and, and Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. And there was, a, there was a boy on his bike and uh, at the light. And he'd stopped, and there was a, a car came up and stopped also, and went to make a right turn as he went to cross, and they just didn't see him. And oh. I mean, he was like, I don't know, ten, eleven, and you know, killed him. Oh, and, wow. yeah. And it was just like, like I had never uh, to that point in my life, like, even heard of such a. You know, I, I feel like. Anyway, um, it was kind of like right here in Prairie Village, a boy, you know, because right. I'm also a boy who cruises around on your bicycle on, in, in Prairie time. Village. Uh-huh. All I mean, my mom was on 69th Terrace. Mm-hmm. I went to six grade schools. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! And and my final sixth grade, I was uh-huh. at Prairie, um, and it was just kind of like, oh shit, man! Like that's not just on, something that happens out there on the, the news and mm-hmm. in the movies. It's real people you know so you say driving to you know mm-hmm. I, I immediately i can see all, all the, the places uh-huh. and i'm like oh should he be driving but mm-hmm. so now you realize he's a it's not safe for him to do that and then uh, so i told him he needed to mo- like we we knew we his father had alzheimer's so we knew and at that point it was oh. becoming clear it was dementia and not depression like there were, oh. memory, there, were there were memory issues and there was like just an inability to, I mean, he was a professor and he like sharp guy, smart people like in the Navy. He was, you know, an officer, like he was a smart dude and he just wasn't able to problem solve. And I had been trying to talk him into moving somewhere where like they can feed him and that kind of stuff. And he just, he wanted nothing to do with it. Like, yeah, he would, uh, at, some this point, is... at some point 
I hired a plumber to come fix something, and like he wouldn't even let the plumber in the house. Damn. Like, he blocked. He like blocked the door. This is like 2018 ish. Uh, no, this would have been like 2011. Oh. Okay. So um, how? I mean, he, like what? Go ahead. Oh well, 2008 he had a nervous breakdown. Yep. And then at some point, uh, for a long time we thought it was depression. Yep. And then at some point it was Alzheimer. And mm-hmm. at some point there was this fucky middle part where it was part dementia, part depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. like paralyzing. But I mean, anxiety. so what? What was the last ten hell years no. of his? <laughs> so 2016 um, was when that accident happened, and I was like, I at this point, yes, I'm, I'm no longer going to defer to what he thinks he wants for his life. I'm now the the grown up, and so I told putting him, yourself in, in front of the firing squad. Yeah, and I told him I was like, you need to move. You're unsafe. If you don't agree to go, I'm going to go to a judge and ask for oh, um, guardianship. And Guns are blazing. Um, yeah, and I was just very direct, and he's like, okay, I'll move. And I was like, I mean, I'd spent years like trying to convince him and it was like as soon as i said i was gonna go in front of a judge verbally yeah you'd brought it up before oh yeah oh, okay yeah. not oh, not oh, just thinking no, about no. it okay years tried to talk him into it and he was like oh, wow yeah okay. well because i thought he needed socialization and neighbors and yeah. like someone to do clean you know fix the dish like all that stuff had been falling apart so he let just the plumber needed- in yeah. please yeah. he's here um, so we moved him to Village Shalom, okay. where that is, yeah. um, in independent living in 2016, and he stayed there until he moved to assisted living a couple years ago. Okay. Went to assisted living and then to um, memory care, um, where he was for uh, six months, and then he died. Okay. Um, and... For the past, I'd say, once I realized it was dementia, there was, I no longer, like, uh, when he, when it seemed like it was depression, I could let, like, three, four, or five weeks go by, um, living my life, taking care of my kids, not, not necessarily going to visit him, but as it became dementia, I was more of a caregiver, so by the time he moved to Village Sloan, I started... I'd go spend all day, either Saturday or Sunday all day with him, and then try to go on weeknight, you know, once or twice to go visit wow. him. So from 2016 until he passed away um, in June, I was spending probably 15 hours a week with him. Um, and it was dementious. Dude. It's just the... Dude, it's, yeah. it's, it's, Staff... What's that? The, the staff and the facility. Oh, they were amazing. Okay. They were amazing. You never like, had to, were at odds no, with anybody? Okay. No, no, no. And that's why, like, we had heard really great things about sure. Village Shalom, and it was really, and they have that. And the reason why we picked it is because he could, we knew he was going to need memory care. Um, and so, and it had the stage, so we wouldn't have to move him from one facility to the next. They could do it all in-house. And so they, they even had a woman... So his house, his house was falling apart. There was lots of mold, so we just basically, it got... It's one of those ranch houses in Reinhardt Estates that got torn down for like a $1.5 million or whatever joke. I tried so hard for that not to happen. Tried so hard. How? What do you do? I Ask mean, around, trying to sell it to someone who wanted to like fix uh, it and not tear it down. And then instead of just putting it on the market for yeah. whoever, but that's what you ended so up. So I spent about a year trying to do that. And actually it was, um, <laughs> it was, uh, so 2016 when we moved him, and 2017 is when I got breast cancer. So that entire year, I like talked to different people, and someone would almost buy it, and then they like the price wasn't cheap enough for them to put all the work in. So there were like three or four different 
friends of friends who wanted to buy it because it's a coveted area. Um, and where was I going with the story? Um, it ended up getting... Oh, yeah. So I, we went away to spring break. Um, and someone had told me, you should take this amount, no less than this amount. Like, that's... And, and I would, so that was kind of like a bar that I hit. We came back from spring break about... It was the same week I found out I had breast cancer. And there was an offer from one of the developers for exactly the amount that I shouldn't take less for. And it was like oh. nothing, like no strings attached, like no, I didn't have to, they were going to tear it down so they could tear everything down with it. So I didn't have to like empty his house out of stuff. And I was like, wait, cancer, what? I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> you didn't have to go I didn't have deal to. with all of his belongings? Well, I dealt with what I wanted to keep. Um, and you left the rest there? I left, and they just tore it down. Like, yeah. threw it in a... I mean, a it was all covered in mold. 1-800-GOT-JUNK? Like, no, I think it's just, like... Dumpster? Bulldozer. Oh. Like, because uh, they tore down the house. With stuff in it. Oh, I, I, I don't know if that's actually how okay. they did it. That's okay. how I assume they did right, it. Right, right. Um, and so, <clears throat> we salvaged some stuff, but most of it was just covered in, like, mold. Yikes. That mold's evil, and I yeah. didn't want any of that. So yeah. we donated what we could, kept what we really wanted, sure. and the rest, which actually like makes downsizing the house a lot easier because then you don't have to deal with all the, all of the stuff. So. Yeah. Well, when you, I mean, we were, I don't remember messaging. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I must have seen a post of yours and been like, you know, I gotta see if I can get Meg, <laughs> and and you know, I, you were like, uh, my busy season's around the corner. Um, so let's, you know, circle back at X day date. Uh, and then I saw your post, and I was like, fuck. And I, but, but, but I bring that up because I, th I think that you wrote my daddy mm -hmm. and like, it struck me then. And now listening to what the last 50, almost 15 years of his life was like, not only for him, but for all of you and your people, it sounds like um, forgiveness and mercy and, and positive, like. Yes, but in my in my essay where I talk about, I wrote and I wrote, I, wrote, I read and I wrote and I wrote and I read yes, in yes. the words. Um, I like joined writing group, like the library writing, writing group. I, um, the Kate Gase Walton, the woman who I wrote it for, I met her actually, Guy Raz, you know Guy Raz? He had, um, he, he was on All Things Considered. He was one oh. of the, and he had a writing competition. I think it was like quarterly, and it was three minute fiction. It was two hundred and fifty words or less. They give you a prompt. You'd have a week, and you write it. Whoa. You'd submit it, and then they'd have the winner. And and so I was just like looking for like just something to get me like I needed something to write, and I just needed like an engine. And so I started doing those. And there was a, a Facebook page for three minute fiction where everybody'd like write. And this would have been you know twenty, probably twenty twelve, twenty eleven. Well, Facebook was still cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, like and it's a bunch of writers like on a Facebook. So it was really funny and really entertaining. Lots of people like doing lots of gesturing with words and all that kind of stuff. But Kate's had seen like the stuff that I'd written and that's how she reached out to me. She's like, what do you do? We write about it. And so I hadn't met her when she, when she did that. But anyway, in my writing, all these little things, I didn't realize it at the time, but I kept writing these really horrific male characters. Just, mm. But, but ones that like you could feel you, you knew why they were. So you had sympathy for them. So it was like, 
and I realize now that I was like trying to figure out a way to like forgive my dad for what he had done um, through my writing, through these sort of characters. And it really was and actually done kind of, is like kind of an air quotey kind of thing. Right. He's, he was never like maliciously. No, yet, no, right, no, right. no. But, but it allowed me to really like, if I could forgive that character that I had created in my writing, then I could figure out how to like forgive him. Like if I was able to create this sort of scenario where they were more awful and I could still find forgiveness, it allowed me to help find my forgiveness. And him. forgiveness also in air quotes. Yeah. Like, I mean, he doesn't. At peace. Yeah. No, there was no, there was no maliciousness, but for, for a while, like there was this sort of like, um, I mean, it, when you said it, it, he made it made your the last year of your mom's life a living hell. That was that yeah, had I to think that be was it. I rough. think that was that was the hard part um, okay. to really like. Just like you think anybody who's dying of cancer should just be like surrounded in love and kindness and hot harps and, and angels and, and yeah, chocolate yeah. and whatever. And, and she didn't really have any of that. Um, I did my best, but you can only do so much when you have three young children right. and you're trying to like navigate all that. Right. Um, I hate to uh, interrupt this fantastic flow, but I have got to pee. <laughs> so let's take five. Okay, sounds good. Did you say you have a funny story about about? What? Oh, about habit. My my husband tells he learned it in his MBA program. There is a story about a, a woman who was teaching her daughter how to make a Christmas ham or something like that, and she's like, you put, put it in the pot, and you cut off the side of the ham, cut off the side of the ham, and you put it in the oven, and girl's like why are you cut off this and apparently grandma's oven was really small and the ham wouldn't fit in the oven and she always cut off the side so the ham would fit in the oven and the daughter just learned that you cut off the, it didn't, <laughs> ham. It didn't matter like it wasn't. she had a bigger oven uh -huh. probably <laughs> just those habits we just keep doing right wow um man heavy stuff mm. i mean so i have another story i mean i don't have uh, kids or a husband to get home to. <laughs> okay. So the time I'm, is I'm, I'm okay. you do uh -huh. all the things that you want to do and I'm going to be here, you know. Well, it's it's the moment, it's how my father passed away. Okay. Or, the, the, the week that my father passed away. So 15 years, I'm, my sister's rarely home, comes home. So I'm, I'm the only like. But are wife. you guys close? We're close, Ish? yeah, yeah. Okay. She's just busy um, and also home. kids one daughter one yeah. da okay um and so i've been his only source of anything for a long time um so i got accepted in the program in whatever the phd program mm -hmm. in february um and one of the things that i always tell my students usually on the first day of class is that my biggest regret in college was not doing study abroad um and i in trying to convince them to do study abroad um, and it's always been a regret. And I just like, it's the only real regret I have in life. That's it. Um, and so as soon as I got to be a student, I was like, I'm a PhD student. I was like, I should, I should do study abroad. And looked up and there was a professor that I had gone to Tanzania with um, on a research trip. So I knew her. She's an English professor. And she had a trip going to Cuba in um, May. And it was a study abroad trip. And I was like, I'm going to go to Cuba. I'd been to Cuba once before. I really wanted to go back. I knew Jeff was not going to go with me. And I remember when I was doing the calculus, my, I should back up a little bit. Um, my father was doing okay until Thanksgiving hit, and then I think got some sort of viral and just, like, tanked. And that's how he ended up in memory care. Um, and 
it seemed like he was going to pass away around New Year's at that point. This is like 13 months ago? Yeah. Okay. Or 11 months ago. 11. I'm yeah. never good at math. 11, so. Yeah, 11 months ago. Um, and he, uh, I didn't think he was going to make it to New Year's. Definitely didn't think he was going to make it to his birthday, which was in March. Um, and hospice got called in. He started losing lots and lots of weight, stopped eating, stopped talking, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do study abroad. Like he's not going to be here. It's going to be done. We had hospice come in. We thought it was, we, I didn't think it would be a problem. And if he lived, what, what are the chances that he would die when I'm in Cuba? And so I went ahead, signed up, put down my deposit and I went, um, it was mid May. Well, my father did terrible, 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 terrible. was on like death store. And then all of a sudden started eating again and started putting on weight and started like doing all these things. He was like, not, um, he wasn't like suddenly cognitively there, but like health wise, um, he was coming back and people can live for years, like in the semi, like non-existent, as long as they're eating and not getting sick, they're fine. Um, and so spring wore on. I was like, well, he's not gonna pass away well. Well, while I'm in Cuba, that's not going to happen. Um, and so I, I'm a photographer. End of the semester is commencement. Um, I was supposed to shoot commencement on a Sunday and then leave for Cuba at like 5 o'clock in the morning on a Monday. Um, and two weeks before this happened, um, I got a call from Bill Shalom that my father had tested positive for COVID. Um, this was the day that they announced that they were lifting the nationwide pandemic. Like, <laughs> the day, like literally, like I heard that news wow. and then got the call. Um, he wasn't sick that someone else had like been sick and they were testing everyone and he tested positive. And since I was like going on study abroad and, and I was taking a class and like I was just doing everything, I was like, I can't get, I can't get COVID right now. So I didn't see him for um, the two weeks leading up to when I was going to leave for um, Cuba. Yeah, because that's the window, right? Yeah, two weeks Yeah, that's the window. Except for two days before I was supposed to leave, the hospice nurse called and said that he's really starting to deteriorate. It looks like he's going to pass away when you're gone. You need to be ready um, for him to pass away when he's gone. You need to be at peace with leaving him if that's what you choose to do. Wow. Okay, and, hospice. Um, yeah, and, and was just really frank with me and just told me I needed to do everything that uh, I needed. There's value in that, yeah. right? Yeah. Frankness? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was really thankful for it. That's what I needed um, because it allowed – well, it allowed me to make a decision because I knew once I went to, like in Cuba, there's, you don't have phones, you barely really? have internet. Yeah. Well, they have phones, but there was, we could only WhatsApp, I could only WhatsApp with my sister and my husband. Okay. Um, and you only have Wi-Fi, like if you're at a fancy hotel and then some of like, you stay in homes instead of hotels, mm. people's homes. And so some people have Wi-Fi, mm. but they only turn it on when the guests are there. And so it's like, it's really hard to communicate. And you're pretty much cut off from the rest of the world. There's not a lot. You're not wow. News. And things are not good in Cuba right now. Like, it's, like it's, they, they could, it could no. be different, but they, no. it's that way intentionally? It's that way because they're uh, all the above. Okay. All the above. Like the, they border the Dominican, right? Yeah. You can go to the Dominican and have Wi-Fi yeah. and I th- stuff. I think the government has cut off the community because you can't use credit card. You have to take all cash when you go to Cuba. You can't have Whoa. any plastic. So you've got to like really plan for emergencies and all that kind of like you have to bring all of your toiletries. There's not a lot of stuff. Um, but the 
the pandemic really hit Cuba pretty hard. A lot of people are not, like, a lot of people aren't eating meat. Like, one of the people we met, he was in a band, but he had to, like, shoot rabbits during the pandemic to feed his son. Um, There's not a lot of, like, all the phones that the people have, like, the people that we know, the teenagers, they've been brought in by tourists who've come and, like, given them to someone who's handed them out. Like, there's, you can't go buy a phone in Cuba. Like, they just don't have that. They don't major gasoline shortages really the only people who were really getting gasoline were tourists that's what i mean it's like one of the many like especially imagery things that cuba is like all the old cars yeah i mean those cars those are tourists so there's gasoline but it's so expensive that only tourists can afford it all those cars that you see in pictures are just tourists those are people who do that for tourists okay it's, it's, it's a, it, I mean, some people use them for transportation, but most of the fancy bright colored ones, yeah. convertible ones, th- that's all like part of the tourist industry. So there are people, people own them and then they take people around for rides. That's how they like can make money. Okay. Um, man, anyway, it's really not good in, in Cuba. And so let's, let's go study abroad yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's actually really good. Uh, so um, I went, I had two nights. I went and spent like all night with him. Um, the two nights before commencement, I, he was like on the back end of his quarantine. And I was like, I have, I like, I'll just let the chips fall if I get COVID. And I went. So you threw the two week thing out the window. Well, I had not been around for two weeks. Okay. So he was like, he was supposed to end his quarantine the day that I was leaving. So I was there two days before he was. So it was safeish. It was close. Safe-ish. Yeah. And I, I, for the most part, wore a mask. Um, he was not because he was um, dying. Um, and so I, and at that point, he, you could, you could tell that he could sense that I was there, but there was, there was no language. There was no eye contact. He, you could tell that he could sense that I was with there. He, like he could hold my hand. Like I could, like if I spoke, he would squeeze my hand when I spoke. Wow. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of communication, but I sat bedside. We listened to music. I talked to him. I told him what the hospice nurse, you know, I, I was like complete. So I was able to like do everything that I felt like I could possibly need to do while I was still with what, them. What kind of music did you put on? Do you remember? Classical. Okay. Classical. And, did... and and no, Credence Clearwater Revival and a lot of like 70s. Like it was kind of... <laughs> did you feel at any point during that hang, did you feel passages or portions or energy from that piece springing in and out and around you? The, the, one, the written one that you read? Sorry. Like, so you're hanging with your dad and he's uh-huh. holding your hand. You can tell that you're there. You're listening to music and all this stuff. Did any energy or p- passages from that piece that you wrote, oh. that you read, was was that kind of like... Oh, it's always in there. I, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, but, but in that moment, uh-huh. I would imagine that a lot of oh, yeah. sentiments that oh, live yeah. in that piece oh, yeah. were also... Sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. So I said goodbye. Um, and then I went and I shot commencement and then hopped on a plane to Cuba, um, knowing that that would happen. Um, and had talked to everyone and their dog about like, this is what we're going to do if something happens, you know, when it happens. And so I was three days into my Cuba trip and we happened to be at the national hotel of Cuba. It's like famous place for Castro and, Mm. and, um, what's his name? Che, Che Che Guevara. Yeah, and um, 
who else? Someone else. Anyway, so we're getting this nice little lecture in this grand hotel, and they had Wi-Fi because it was a very nice hotel. Um, and we're getting this lesson on, um, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis and mm. everything that was happening in the '60s. And I got a text from my sister um, that the hospice nurse said that he was molting, and it, what does that that's mean? when like your color, like you start turning purple, and lots of like it's blood's not flowing yeah, and yeah it's, so it's forth. an imminent sign of death it's an imminent sign of death usually within like 48 hours 24 to 48 hours so i found that out and i was like okay it's it's gonna be happening in the next day or so and obviously i started crying in the middle of the lecture around all these students and the students there were three ku students phd students and then nine students who were from donnelly college in kck mm-hmm. are you familiar with oh that? yeah oh are you yeah um, I did social work in KCK for three years, okay. and I would either go out in the community with kids, uh-huh. uh, go to their homes, or, or go to their schools. Uh-huh. So you're um, familiar with all that area? Uh, all of it. So yeah. you probably know the types of kids who grew up in that area. So the, there was a, a teacher at Donnelly College who knew this professor at KU, and she, she was an English teacher, and she basically had all these um, Henry Block scholars mm. coming through Donnelly. That's where you get a full ride. You start out at Donnelly, and then you end up at UMKC with a four-year completely paid. And so she has all these, and they're really bright um, students. There were nine of them. Um, let's see, two were undocumented families, one... Two were refugees, one, let's see, Honduras, Kenya, Tibet, um, Laos, Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. Well, that one was born here. Um, and I forgot what the other ones. Anyway, um, so really bright students who are really motivated. They're, they're block scholars, so they've shown that they have a lot of motivation. So really, like, just kind of like my favorite kind of student. Yeah. Like they've been through adversity. They know perspective. They have these different perspectives, just like the, the best, the best. A lot of times I've never taught, but I've been in a lot of different settings and it seems like a lot of times those kids, uh, by the time they're in your presence and they're jazzed about their education. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So I have a, that- you're like, I can't fail. I got to fucking bring a plus game every day. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Uh huh. And my, uh, I'll get into that. Um, so uh, those are the nine students. And the two other PhD students are English, and I'm educational. So they were roommates, and then I was with all the undergraduates when we were staying in these rooms. And the girl that I was partnered with, because you stay in people's houses, mm. and the girl who I was partnered with was a Donnelly student. She's 19. She's the one from La- Laos. She was, I think she was born here, but her parents were refugees who, like, escape through the jungle and up the river and like, you know, those kind of stories. Yeah. Um, but she, I think the instructors placed her with me cause her dad was in the ICU, um, actively oh, dying geez. of diabetes complication. Okay. So she was my roommate. Uh, and we hit it off and she, she like follows me around with a piece of paper and like, Oh, this is one, that's an amazing thing. Oh, I need to write that. And she just like, she's just like this amazing little, that's awesome. um, who I want my like self to be when I was 19. Um, right. so we really hit it off. Um, but anyway, that's maybe your post 55 retired photographer self. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. So she, uh, so anyway, we find out um, at the hotel uh, and I tell everyone what's happening. And, you know, so there's some, and the thing that we were doing after that was to hop in all the convertibles and drive on the Malacon, um, like in, you know, cherry red <laughs> convertibles. 
And I'm fine. I'm like processing that my, and at that moment, like all 15 years worth of grief just like hit me just like, like before he had died, it was just all of it just came flooding at me. So it was really, really, really intense. And we're in, in the convertibles and everybody's having the best music's blaring. <laughs> everybody's like, they're all 19 writing. And I'm just like in the cert, like I'm, I, I have an out of body, like memory of it, like me floating above everyone. I was like completely disassociated. It was a really surreal sort of um, experience. And then we went up to this thing and did a little lecture. And then we went back to our, they call them Casa Particulars. That's like an Airbnb. And so we went back there and everybody was showering and, and getting ready um, to go out to dinner. And we had a little living area and all the students loved to play. Like They love music. They would just play music all the time and play Uno and sit around. And mm. it was just a lot of fun to like, yeah. hang out with 19 year olds. So they were all hanging out and I was showering and I got out of the shower. And we had, we happened to have, it was one of the only places that we did have Wi-Fi at our, at our cost in particular. And there was a message from my sister that he passed. How long between messages are we talking? Like three or four hours. Okay. So um, and I was, I was ready for 24, so I wasn't quite ready for that. Um, and then, Damn. And then like. Back in the shower. <laughs> yeah. But then you're like, I'm, I'm like in a room by myself and like, I've just found out my dad has died over WhatsApp and I can't talk, I can't talk to my husband. I can't like talk to my, it was such a like weird moment. Cause you just don't, you don't expect to be like here. This, this? Yeah, this yeah. is how, okay. Um, so, so I, I, thanks. Always, <laughs> so I kind of like, and I was in my room by myself. I got dressed and, you know, it took what, probably like an hour of just like processing it. And then I walked out of my room out into the living room, and there were four people there. My roommate, her name's Sarai, um, and then a, a guy named Marco, a guy named um, Abdul, and a guy named Raphael. Was it Raphael? No, sorry, Addis. Addis is from Tibet, um, Kenya, and Mexico, and then Laos. And all three of them were refugee families. And um, the three boys had all lost their fathers when they were teenagers. Damn. And I walk out and that's who I'm like, that's who like is giving me my first hug. And they, they were, they were there for me in a way that no one else could have ever been. Like the quality of the way that they were with me was a way that nobody else in my life could have ever been. And we were close because we'd been traveling for a few days. A couple of them I'd had Marco, Marco, <laughs> Marco I sat with on the plane on the way over there and his father had just passed away. He had been living in Mexico. His dad was in Kansas City. He moved to come learn his dad's business, and his dad died of cancer like nine months later, and then the pandemic hit. And so oh, these damn. are the stories. And then, like, you know, another – they just have these horrific stories of how their fathers died, and I learned it in these three days. And so as I'm looking there, A, they were just – they were – like – even if I were – like, you were the first person, there would be, like, some part of me that's worried about – having to console you console me you know mm. what i mean yeah. like this sort of there's the interplay in the relationship but in in this place it was just this like just genuine just like being there for me in a really peaceful and not in a over thought way or over talk way they just were there which is really wild because i at least can envision a scenario in which those people who lost their fathers you know uh, their fathers died at, at a much younger age than yours did and the, so then this whole I had gratitude I had nothing but gratitude like the grief wasn't there it was well, like you, oh my god there are humans in the world that could have been like 
you should be thankful right now or what right. some just not the thing that you actually needed. needed right so yeah. uh-huh. we, wow it was it was really 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 um incredible and we all piled out the sun was setting and we all piled out hmm. on, on the porch and there was this um and one, it was warm yeah oh yeah there's this smokestack uh, next to a building off in the distance and from our vantage point as the the sun was setting you know it's just a single smokestack the sun like just set on top like right on top of the like a the tea? Sm- like it was like a ice cream cone oh, so funny. we were all like laughing and it was like oh look at it you know and taking pictures and it was just like a really it turned into just this we were listening to music and it turned out that night we ended up eating dinner and the the, the restaurant was at, at the smokestack. So there's this sort of like... Wow. Just this... Kind of give you a sort of chills. Um, there's and so many moments in there, specifically uh, the out-of-body above watching. I've, I've had that. Mm-hmm. And my uh, memory now to this day is looking down on and, that. And it's like there's so many pieces like that across the human experience that like at least... To today to now who knows what the future will but it, it's literally impossible to distill that and share it with another person so they can because you, you say it was really weird or it was really wild or it was really intense or whatever and it's not like anything else but ultimately like those are just words mm-hmm. into the ears of the listener like they can never know what you know it's like you can talk about you know cruising around on the carpet in your sock to feet when you're a kid and, and shocking your sibling mm-hmm. and, uh, Oh yeah, I totally, I experienced that or the smell of uh, gas being pumped or uh, a cookout or, you know, there's a lot of things that are very specific things that you can describe in the person. Oh, I'm I know, I know exactly. Mm-hmm. But there are also a lot of experiences that unless you've experienced it, yeah, like, no. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so, story doesn't end there. Um, so that happened. The next day, um, day after, I'm, you know, everybody's like, oh, May, how are you doing? You know, and I'm, like, still kind of processing. The, the professor who did this is an English professor. Her specialty is writing through trauma. Um, so I was in good hands. Mm. Um, and, and so, we like, part of, like, our thing was writing in our journals every day. Like, we'd have prompts and that sort of stuff and talk about things. Um, so the next day, um, I got a really bad period and I like started just like kind of hemorrhaging. It was like, I what? Went, I, like, well, this, that's, this happened before. Yes. And no, I'm not too concerned about it. It's a really long story that sure. you, you would need another, po- you'd need a couple podcasts to cover. Episode two, <laughs> the sequel Meg's period. Uh, right. Um, and so I was just, I was kind of struggling and, you know, just really kind of dragging my feet. Are and you then, a person that gets bad cramps as um, well? Or? Only in the last like five years. And oh, like, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, but. So you're only having to deal with massive amounts of blood loss. Right. Like, it was like, yeah, it was kidding. It was, I, like I couldn't leave the house for a while just because it was Damn. like every 20 minutes I'd have to like deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that night in the middle of the night, I got food poisoning and I was up from the fancy hotel. I think so. Okay. Uh, no, from the, <laughs> the chimney stack. Oh, um, right, right. Actually, right, right. no, this would have been the n- this would have been the next dinner. Sorry, no. We I know where we ate. We ate at this bar, and I don't I don't know what it was that I ate, but other people ate similar things and didn't get sick. Shitting and puking all night long, like and couldn't hold down even water. And so that next that 
second day, um, I was in the in our Casa Particular just because I was like resting and still I think vomiting and doing all that. Um, and so when you're in these Casa, there's no electricity. Uh, well, electricity is around maybe like. 20% of the time. Um, there's no Wi-Fi. The, the power goes in and out. I was so, going to say, is it scheduled or is it random? It's random. Okay. Um, and so that day it's when... It's pretty creepy. As I'm getting over... Get, well, they're used to it. As I'm R- getting right. over the, the food poisoning or whatever it was, um, I'm laying in dark room, you know, without Wi-Fi and no TV and no one around me. Um, and I'm on day two of processing my dad writing... And so I just basically spent the entire day like just journaling and it's this like when you go back it's like hallucinatory writing and it's just like you know words and like all that kind of stuff. And the next day <laughs> I um, finally started getting my wits about me put some food. We went to the next town and we're getting off the bus and I have my backpack and it's cobblestone I take one step off of the bus into a missing cobblestone hole twist my ankle. Oh dude. And then um bl- blacked out and was passed out on the road for about 10 minutes couldn't walk on my foot after that so spent another day and another casa particular without air conditioning wi-fi or electricity still processing like and so this whole time i'm spending thinking about my dad thinking about stories thinking about all all the you know the last 15 years and so like i and like and if i had been at home like dealing with my dad's death um, I would have been busy. I would have been working. I would have been my family. And, you know, I just wouldn't have been, like, sitting with my thoughts. And so I sat with my thoughts for about three days and had nothing to distract me. And it was... Medicinal. Yeah, maybe. it was. And and, and what, what's so interesting is, like, <laughs> your dad's doing this for 15 years. You imagine all the ways that you wish it could have happened. Like, you've... I've, I, I cannot tell you how many times... I'm not, I don't... I'm, I know you're religious, but I'm not religious. But I prayed that, like just take us all out of our misery like uh, so many times and i'd imagine what if it happened this way what happened and never never right. never is it just because of this that you say yeah, that yeah okay okay <laughs> um never ever 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 imagine that i would be in cuba like you know it was just it was right it was but it was everything that i needed sure because sure. it just like created this space for me to just like disassociate from everything and just grieve it in a in a natural sort of i don't know it it was it was really what you needed but also uh i i I think Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to tell you no i'm looking for words um i think that it was what you needed as you know a daughter and a sister and and a wife and a mom and all those things but also uh, as the person, as you mentioned a, a little while ago that, you know, with, with your sister in Minneapolis, like you were, your mom's been gone for a while. Mm-hmm. Your sister's seldom here. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. it's you. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other thing. I mean, like if you're just a daughter that lives nearby and occasionally visits right. and so on and so forth. Like, yeah, of course you have oh, your no, grief it, that you need to go through, but you're also, my identity was completely wrapped in and caring for him and being his daughter and being his caregiver. Yeah. Like a whole hard not to put all of that in the, everything happens for a reason bucket. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm yeah. a hippie at heart. So oh, like no. when no, things was, organically was, unfold was, a way like that and you're like, I would not change. Like I wasn't like, 
When I think about not being there and holding his hand as he died, you hear people, oh, he's so, surrounded by love, holding the hand. Like, and there's like a little bit of like this, like I should have been there, but I was there for 15 years in ways, you know, I wiped his butt. I mean, I've done, and I was okay. I was okay with like actually doing something for my self Self. yeah Yeah. um because i knew he was in good it wasn't that i was abandoning him and i did everything i could to hold his hand up until the very last second i was there but i needed to and now it was funny i i I reframed it i i have told people that you know study abroad was my biggest regret i wish i would have done it i wish i would have done it and there was this this like moment of clarity it was like there's a reason why i didn't do study abroad and it was so that i would be in cuba in may of Stepping in this missing cobblestone hole. I, there's no way in hell I would have been there doing all of that. Um, yeah, I, and it, it's everything that I needed. Um, and wow. gives me really sense, like, I just, I, like, all the closure that I could possibly want. Um, and just enough mystery and magic and, like, this sort of, like, connection. And then to end the story, Sarai's father passed away. Um, about a month ago and she came to my dad's funeral and I went to her dad's funeral and where um, she's in Kansas city and, and her dad passed away here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Okay. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we've like developed this really incredible bond and like, I, I don't know anybody of my friends who like there are people on Facebook who I know, but none of my close friends have lost a parent anytime in the most recent future. And it's just really interesting to have someone to share that with. Right in like a different sort of way yeah Um, and we both have i think played an important role in like dealing with it and she was a daddy's girl and i was a daddy's girl so we really kind of like bonded over that and what's her sibling situation she's one of a triplets okay oh damn Um, yeah and she's got a really complicated like her dad was like a famous musician in laos and beloved and they moved to the united states and the mom had to like take care of everyone became angry and resentful and really didn't love her husband anymore oh wow and sarai was just like her like like her father oh and shit. So her mother was, see it in her yeah, yeah and like i think there was some maybe minor physical a lot of emotional abuse a lot of like just just really harsh tongue and so i was the mom that she's always needed and she was the family member that i needed and we just fit each other it was it was if she hadn't been there i don't know that the experience would have been quite as intense yeah fitting Mm, fitting, matchmaking and so now uh, what level of correspondence do you have with her and the others her uh so I saw her father's funeral was like four weeks ago. So okay. that's about the last time. But I mean, do you guys... Oh, yeah, we oh, text yeah. him and she wants to come to KU. And uh, I it was I had to do a research project on top of going to study abroad. It's a three-hour credit class. And so um, rather than do a research research project, I did oral interviews of everybody on the trip um, and then put together some YouTube videos where I kind of... I did little themes like um, first-gen student or... Um, what were some of them? Undocumented, maybe. Um, I didn't touch on that. Uh, like, I, I, I didn't ever want to get anybody talking about anything on camera. That uh, yeah. If Trump came in into office and said, like, I stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have interviewed all of them, and we've met up a couple times. So yeah, we're still cool, kind of in touch. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Wow, you've led, led a fascinating life since 1994 I, or three. Yeah, yeah. For me. 
Well, there were a lot of years where it was not so fascinating there. <laughs> well, but you, I mean, you put in the mundane and the routine and the yeah. standard yeah. Yeah. to get to go on that ride mm -hmm. or, or yeah. have, you know. Wow. Um, so uh, mom and dad are um, classical folks. Um, and then I, I'm interested in this notion. Um, it's hard to do this many episodes and just deal with the elements of repetitive, mm -hmm. you know, I only have so many original thoughts. Right. <laughs> oh, I know. And I, I, I I'm know sharing with you oh, for yeah. the first time. And I'm like, you know, I, well, we do portraits. Um, and yeah, you have the same conversation over and over and over and over and over. So again. I'm interested in this notion of the music that your folks or wh whoever's rearing you are play. It's, it's, it's not, it's cool. It's mm -hmm. special. It's nurturing, but it's also kind of like the furniture in the home. It's just there. Mm -hmm. And well, the, oh, go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, I was going to say they had their classical music, but we also did lots of like road trip. We had a 1981 Volkswagen van again pop up. Nice. And so we might, since they were professors, we'd take we'd do a lot of road trips in the summer, like three week long road trips. And so Paul Simon, Credence Clearwater Revival, Linda Ronstead, like Willie Nelson, like those four sure. artists sure. are just well. Like, so, so that, but that's not that's that's what mom and dad are putting on, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. part it's just part of your existence. Yes. And then one day something changes, mm -hmm. and you pivot, and you begin to seek out. Pixies Doolittle, Plaza. Um, so, <laughs> the Plaza Music Store was the first CD I ever bought in, nine, in 1990. Your first, your first album purchase was Doolittle? CD. Okay, um, okay, yeah. First album purchase was You never Beatles. bought cassettes? I did, Beatles. Okay, okay. Not a lot. Okay. Um, Beatles, Billy Joel. Nice. Just, you know, your yeah. typical. But those were like, those were not my musical choices. Those were the musical choices of the time. Like, okay. Of the, my friends and the culture. Yeah, um, yeah. Pixies was the first time I, sure. like, I think I sought out something that was my sound. Okay. Um, that hadn't been, like, given to me by someone else. Sure. Um, how about shows? First concert or first? Billy Joel. Oh, Kemper. Cool. Do you remember what tour it was or what year? Would have been 87 or 88. So probably Innocent Man. Yeah, probably. Great fucking album. Great oh, fucking yeah. album. Uh, my first, I mean, I was given a couple of pieces of vinyl as a very young person, and then I inherited a couple hodgepodge here and there. But my first... Uh, my so my dad is my dad and his wife and kids were living um, pretty close to Ward Parkway Mall, mm -hmm. and and when I would still go over there, um, sadly I stopped, um, and I you know that the age at which I did that is my daughter's around the corner and you know so I'm like you know. But I, 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 I was going over there for the weekend and I, I wanted to, I had some cash and I wanted to make sure there was a functioning bike so that I could bike from his house to Ward Parkway and go to Musicland and Sam, whatever the other right. one was. 
and uh, I ended up buying cassette copies of Led Zeppelin IV and Billy Joel, Innocent Man. <laughs> and um, at the time, this house for them was relatively new. Um, and my great, it was my great aunt's house and she was still living there and they moved in with her and my dad's wife sort of a, a, a career nurse mm -hmm. assumed the role of caregiver for her. Um, so she had a room downstairs and I dad and someone had the master and then the two girls had, and so bunk beds in the basement for Tiffany and I, <laughs> but I got back from that bike ride and you know, I was like, I need to, there was a, a single cassette FMAM stereo. And it's like, I need to have this in the basement alone for a while. And I, I mean, just, I remember like it was yesterday and my dad's acoustic guitar that he never he mm -hmm. really played with. And I was just like, this is, I don't know what it is, but I want to I want this. swim in this and tread, be in this, you know? And it was mm -hmm. like, you know, I think dinner time approached and they came downstairs and like, dinner's ready and it's like oh i fucking go back to life like <laughs> anyway um that's that's i love uh first shows and, and first albums that you by proxy or by intention um become invested in and, and fall in love with outside of the stuff that your folks play in the home mm -hmm. um so let's see here we talked about Kay, we talked about married and kids. Um, I guess we're moving to your list, which <laughs> thank you uh, for sending me. It's a, a always an interesting animal. Mm -hmm. Some folks are like, that's an, I can't how? And mm -hmm. it's like, I don't, don't make too much of it. That's mm -hmm. how. Um, and uh, some folks got to deliberate for a little while. Some take a very long time. Some people, it's like they've, been waiting for the opportunity here it's uh -huh. like oh shit all right um and um every list is um you know the the episode that i recorded um on saturday um had four artists and albums i'd never heard no like the and the fit the closest to anything was rain and blood by slayer <laughs> And that also was maybe the, me the the mellowest. Everything else was, you know, so it's like, uh -huh. try to sit with that, you know. Do you try to listen to people's songs before you Albums. Yeah. Albums. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And most people are giving me five, uh -huh. you know. That's a, yeah, that's a... So if it's, if it's something um, that I know, like the back of my hand, I'm, I'm not probably good. not going to visit. I know that shit. If it's um, something that I no can't, good. can't sit with. Mm -hmm. I'm going to scan and see, <laughs> oh, got that, got, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and to be honest, there's not, uh, it's seldom is there sufficient time mm -hmm. uh, to really take in, you know, five full records mm -hmm. and put together notes and look up a little bit about the bands and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Um, I mean, I did, uh, when I piv my butt, my newspaper staff buddies on our, our blog, it was like you know a few years, and we had, we were selling shirts, and like uh, ticket brokers were paying us to put their links on our page, and mm -hmm. we had you know at a good point we hit, we would have like thirty five thousand visits a day, and yeah, um, uh -huh. and and then eventually, and I was running it, mm -hmm. um, and so uh, it was like 
I've got to be 33% of the writing, but also we have a schedule and you, we all have deadlines Mm -hmm. and like, we're, you know, don't mix business and pleasure and that kind of, so it's like, don't make me be disappointed by missing your debt. And that started to happen. And so the, the chore joy. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I was like, I'll just, this was fun. I'm going to just do it on my own. And so my, the first project I did was uh, ranking um, the top 25 Bob, Bob Dylan albums. And there were like 36 at the time. And I was like, I this has to be, each album has to get three uninterrupted listens. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, that was... and I, I, I don't know that I've ever listened to like that many albums straight through like solid listening. I mean, so, so 36 times three, Uh this is one of those three 30 AM, you know, and it's like six o'clock comes fast and it's like, fuck, this project is taking forever. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, self-imposed sanctions and deadlines are, you know, sometimes the heart anyway. Anyway. Um, so I'm, I've always like, you don't know a record until you listen to it three times. Uh Uh, That can't, that's not the world. This is not that world. Uh-huh. Um, so I like to take folks lists and roll through them uh, chronologically in the year of release. Okay. Um, which for your case uh, puts, us, puts us in 1986 with Paul Simon's Graceland. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, the seventh of 15 for him or is the seventh of 15, 11 tracks, 43 minutes. Um, second time it's made a list. Mm-hmm. Only, surprisingly only the second time because the first time was not that long ago oh, and I know that record uh-huh. I don't I've never owned it uh-huh. but when I put it on I was like I know every song, song on uh-huh. this album like I have owned it for 30 years and I've no, I don't think I've ever owned it um, but album of the year Grammy in 1987 added to the US uh, National Recording Registry which yeah, criteria for which is culturally historically or aesthetically important 16 plus million copies sold 50 people credited on the record itself musician wise oh yeah i guess there's um it's just an amazing magical album with so many different kinds of energy in it and around it and attached to it how and why did it become special for you Paul Simon, my parents, like okay, yeah, uh, oh, Coda, the road, Coda, road trip, Coda, yeah, the road trip. But you co- keep saying that you've yeah. said that uh, uh, several. Kodachrome, yeah, this Paul Simon Kodachrome is like the soundtrack of my brain. Okay, <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. So intro to Paul Simon through that. part of those yeah. seventy-one pop-up VW road yeah, trips. Yeah, and we pro- listened to Graceland over and over and over to the point like when my sister did come back one of the, and she didn't not come back she'd come back every you know a few months but one of the times that she came back i wanted to play graceland and she asked me not to because she had lots of very like distinct intact memories with my dad around graceland from previous years that she didn't want to introduce dying memory. Like every time you like recall a memory, it changes because you bring whatever's happening in the new moment. And she was afraid of like altering those memories with. It's like some inception shit, man. Yeah. yeah. But it's true. I mean, if you're a neuroscientist, you understand how it happens. So (laughs) she's a neuroscientist. So she understands how it happens, but she just like, couldn't, she didn't want to like lose part of that 
Did you gasp at this request or did you immediately no, understand I, I, no, it? No, I get it. Okay. I get it, yeah. Okay. This has come up a couple times on here, uh, mostly probably brought up by me. Um, but, uh, you know, for ever until recently, mm-hmm. um, it's like, here, here is the outline of my memories. Mm-hmm. I was X when my parents divorced and X when I lived here and so on. And, so, and then inside of those, you know, firm moments in time, there's a smattering of different memories. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I remember the time that da 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 and so on and so forth. And then you kind of look at the whole thing and you're like, how many of those actually are memories and how many of those are 1000% rooted in flipping through photo albums or he- hearing stories. Right, yeah. And it's all of a sudden it's like, I don't know. Right. And you know, and so I read something not too terribly long ago where, uh, it's like when you recall a memory, that version of the memory is now Alter. gone and, mm-hmm. and the recollection is now the, the right. new memory. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's like, whoa, I'm fucking falling fast, you know, right. like uh, the jump program in the Matrix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's bananas shit to think about. Um, so what light can you shed in that regard? As, uh, and you, just from your own experience, like memory wise, like, you know, um, I, I think you were just touching on it a second ago where it's like every time you alter the altering of the memory you know Uh what i'm saying uh like what can you add to that for that album in particular no just memory in general like with the like your sister didn't want to alter that memory by Mm -hmm. introducing dying Mm -hmm. and and so then this concept of every time you think of a memory it's 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 altered and so so on and so forth i mean i sure i imagine you've given this well even like the if you know what you want to do by age 32 like that's that's a that's a memory that like was there and then almost like grew and grew and was like almost this thing to the point where i was like i I don't i don't know if that's true (laughs) i don't even know if that guy's my dad anymore it's so Uh um but otherwise i don't know that's a tough that's a tough one for me to like well, it's it's foundation shaking. Yeah, yeah. Because, like I said, forever until recently, mm-hmm. it's like this, that, and the other thing, and so on and so forth. Then it's like, dude, how do you know? And it's right. like, oh, now that you got me thinking about it, I don't know that I do know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, actually, now that you bring it up, there's there's some there's like some discussion. Uh, so my my sister, um, and I'm gonna be totally candid. So don't talk about don't put anything about her out in the world because I wouldn't want her to like I'm sure she wouldn't have a problem but I wouldn't want her I wouldn't want to be talking about her on my on your podcast but for the story she grew up I was always like the pretty skinny one and she was like the athletic like bigger one um and she I she was smarter than I was she's a better athlete so I always looked up to her in competition and was like if I could just be a better student if I could just be better and she's like if I could just be more popular if I could be you know so there's like this sort of like um this weird and where am I going with the story I just totally lost my train of thought um memory oh yeah so um 
my sister, um, in, in everything that we've been dealing with my dad and stuff, it started therapy, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Um, and it most recently it, it has like in the last two or three years seen a different, um, ther therapist. And so my sister has some body image issues. She was always, you know, much, much heavier than I was and just never really proud of her body. And so they started working on, on body image um and, and Sarah's confidence and you know kind of like an obsession with like food and workout and just this sort of like angsty sort of stuff and in her therapy she realized that it was the way that my parents talked to her about her body that helped her like canonize this like notion about her body like he my dad would always talk her about being the tough one or the, the one that was like a football you know not feminine sort of terms these sort of like de-feminizing sort of language and my mom would always be like we're Bert we're Bertha and something you know like my mom had a belly and she had a belly but there were these this language and this culture of talking about her body in a way that culture didn't um talk about women's bodies at the time it was part of why she's always had these self these and so in this last year as my dad has been dying um and she's doing better now but about a year ago she was angry at my dad for for like canonizing this thought process inside of her, not angry, like she didn't like hate him, but I she was just totally really, just really conflicted and just like realizing how much that they're, and so that's like a relearning. And so as she's talking about this, um, I was trying to walk the line with like, it wasn't the reality that I experienced because that wasn't the language and those weren't the conversations that they had with me. So for the two of us to like grow up, by the same parents, but have these two completely different messages about body and image. And in some ways, as she's talking about, because I didn't experience it, I, I didn't feel comfortable with this sort of like blanket. Well, he's, you know, blah, 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 you know, that sort of stuff. So there's this weird like sort of space where like I wanted to be supportive, but it also wasn't my reality and trying to negotiate Fucking that was tough, a little man. tough. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. Um, and, and just trying to be there for my sister and my sister trying to understand that it wasn't my reality. So I can't be like on her bandwagon, like, oh yeah. And she's, she's come around like she, like my, my father was also a huge feminist. Like my, I was, you know, huge in math and science. I mean, we're both, in, you know, I got a computer science major, so he's also a feminist, but also like, you know, talks about women's bodies. Bunch of nerds, those Heimovics, my God. Yeah, he's a he's silent general. He's like pre-boomer. So oh. like, there's there's some stuff that's entrenched in there, just the way that, and I remember in the later days when um, he was still talking, he was watching, we were watching women's rugby, and like just the way he was talking about the I was like, and it was when Sarah was going through all that stuff, I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what Sarah's talking about. <laughs> like, all, why are they so big? Why, they, they've got really, you know, and he's talking about these women, and I was like, oh, well, yeah, but, but, that's, I think, a way that memories change and are intact and kind of shift with the time. But, like, if you had asked my sister 15 years ago, like, there wouldn't have been any sort of, like, awareness or realization of the way that the language that we used in our household impacting her self-confidence and all of that. My sister is, and I've, I've she, yeah, whatever, I've, we've, I've shared this with her a bunch. It probably came up on her episode. Mm -hmm. um, but memory has been um just a goddamn flathead screwdriver in a phillips screw world since she was tiny mm -hmm. and um that's one school of thought that it, it, that's not disputable it mm -hmm. is it's fact i mean from, from my experience and Mm -hmm. I know everything. I'm the older brother. Um, but then there was also an episode that I caused 
uh, that may have, uh, I mean, it did result in a head injury. <laughs> so like the, those things, yeah, I don't know, mm-hmm. but, um, it has been, you know, uh, it was very much not, um, on my radar in youth, uh, not even into my There might have been an isolated episode or two, but now um, there's a whole like hemisphere of just inaccurate, twisted, not not sinister, twisted, just different perspectives, DNA helix, and it's like that's not how you know. And she acknowledges it on some level, and Mm -hmm. sometimes we have to like have a two second powwow and be like, that's didn't go down like that man it's and 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 she believes me mm-hmm. and, and participates in that conversation for however long it lasts mm-hmm. and then she goes back to being herself and it's still that it's still mapped that way mm-hmm. and like i want to be frustrated shit you know get the right stuff in there and mm-hmm. but there's nothing i can do about it right, no. um and so it's like you know okay like it just you know i can't there's nothing i can do about it mm-hmm. except for just okay wow <laughs> i mean and and some of these things like she like i said she she believes me on some but some she it's like gospel you mm-hmm. know she's like that's not i'm like dude mm-hmm. like if there if only there were footage there's not footage but right. anyway uh-huh. it's 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 a really really weird um notion here in the old human Mm -hmm. landscape but um from 86 to 89 doolittle Mm -hmm. doolittle has not made anybody's list it did make somebody's list and it's somebody that you know um and they (laughs) when it it came time to because it was the same hey oh Uh yeah Uh and then okay let's start the conversation oh so here's my i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do a thing was Mm -hmm. the phrase i'm gonna give you one um high school one college and one you know adult or or married whatever album and Mm -hmm. there were the the three like very much fit in those Mm -hmm. time frames um and and doolittle was on the list and i was like oh wow and and then i was like okay well here's the list of dates hello Mm -hmm. hello and you know i can only two Mm -hmm. maybe three times it's and i I, I should know you Mm -hmm. you if, if it's the third time but i can't just be like Hey. You gonna do it? You yeah. gonna do it? You gonna come? It's just like it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so a, a long time ago, I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, we're gonna talk about pixies," um, and then it never happened. So I never even got to the point of looking it up and revisiting mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. until you know we were firm. Um, what a fucking banger mm-hmm. of an album! Like I, I knew know. I couldn't by title mm-hmm. say I know that track and that track but i knew there was going to be three or four mm-hmm. that i know really well and it's like nope i know this whole because i think i was just mm-hmm. cassette you know mm-hmm. a to b and b to a and just until i had my fix and right. till the next time i you know mm-hmm. but this is a first purchase for you first cd first purchase. cd purchase yes. okay mm-hmm. and you said the plaza and i didn't even have yeah and i didn't even have a cd player <laughs> Not even in your car no. or anywhere. No, I, I got one shortly thereafter. Just show but, people. Uh-huh. <laughs> Look at these liner notes. This is sexy. 
Um, what? Why? Why did you? First of all, boy, there was a boy who had like talked about it, and mm. I, I think I list, I listened to it, and I think it was "Here Comes Your Man" was probably mm-hmm. the. Yeah, I think that one I had heard, and that was just enough that I was like, "Hi, buying my," friend. and it was like kind of cool and different. It wasn't anything my parents knew, so there was a little bit of that. I didn't know them well when I bought it, but it by far would be like the top. Okay. Album. As far as like, no, second. I put Lauren Hills for like, as far as like it becoming part of my DNA. I see. I see. Okay. Uh, Where is this music store on the plaza? It was Ville Square. Um, you, you would go in McDonald's mm. and then you would go into the, there was like an atrium sort of area where you could go up to the movie theaters and it was like, there was uh, a shoe store and yes. then there was a I could see store. the shoe store. And, uh, okay. and it was, I think, next door to the shoe okay. store. Okay. Um, and did you, how long after you bought it did you have access to a CD player? It wasn't very long. I okay. mean, it was, it was, I think, within like, a year or something, yeah. And then not um, a month, not a year. Right. And then um, m- more. Did you did you get more Pixies? Yeah. I forgot. I don't remember. This was two of eight for them. Fifteen tracks, thirty eight minutes. Um, don't remember. Uh, if I don't you... know what would have been the next right. one. I don't think I would have bought a Pixies until later in okay. high school. Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, just because it was still kind of it wasn't it wasn't in me. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the the. Excuse me. The dude that um, who the first person I traveled to do an episode for, um, he gave me a very big list and um, took him a long time to get it to me. Mm -hmm. And when he and you know, like it's really uh, interesting. I mean, I I discovered one with you. Like Mm -hmm. across the the life of the conversation, like people just either forget things or they didn't read them you know mm. um i mean i i probably told him three times you know like let's cap it at five for time mm-hmm. say otherwise we'll be going for all night mm-hmm. and 14 <laughs> and i was like we're gonna be talking a while okay mm-hmm. um and so but I, I, for whatever reason I, I was like i'm just gonna I'm gonna. I'll figure out a way to make this fun and different. So what I did was I split it into two sets of seven, and I called it uh, your year list and my year list, oh, and nice. and ran through in one and then the second. And uh, the breeders' last splash mm-hmm. was on there, mm-hmm. um, and it. I don't know. I did some shitty prep work or, and memory wasn't firing until I'm sitting talking to him and he's like, Kim deal, you know, that's her outfit. And she was the bass player from the pixies. And I was like, I did know that <laughs> like a lifetime ago, right? but uh-huh. it was lost until this very. And so just very interesting what an outfit they were. And then, you know, and then so she goes and does breeders and her sister, I think was the drummer. Mm-hmm. And then, um, is it Frank black? Mm-hmm. Does sugar? Yeah. So, well, well, so, no, uh, maybe yes, he does. But, but he also put out some solo stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I was near the end of my listen to do little and, um, f- you know, Frank black and pixie. It's come up 
zero times since that person oh, that's interesting. until like the uh, last three days and it's come up like five times oh, and i'm really? like fucking what that's weird so i uh got you know close to the 13th or whatever the last track is and i, I ran upstairs for something and came back down and the album had ended in my streaming service and pivoted to a frank black solo album mm-hmm. and so as i'm coming in the room i'm like what is that and it sounded amazing mm-hmm. i was like oh, oh and i ran over and i was like fucking seriously <laughs> like that wow i might like this better than the pixie shit that i anyway mm-hmm. um well what i like about the pixie the pixies was way ahead of its time absolutely way, and like still is kind I, of ahead I, of its I'm time i'm looking at it right now i'm like 1989 i know like it doesn't it doesn't sound like 1989 uh-uh. music at all uh-uh. uh-huh. um so i have one funny story about it please um i only did acid twice in my life. Sorry. Were they... Acid's not for me. Oh, you just <laughs> didn't get there yet. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, well, I was more of a shroom girl. But, well... Um, uh, I only did acid. It might have only been one. That's one of those, like, did I do it? I, I always told myself I did two, but I don't remember the other two. Right. But the one time, the first time I, I did acid, um, it didn't hit until, like, we started really late, and it didn't hit until really late, and I was working at Wade's and had to work the 7 a.m., shift on Sunday morning and I was I was not still hallucinating like but I was still high 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 and I'm like in the busiest section in Wade's um that's where I was but on the way there as I'm driving to work I'm listening to Doolittle and the song that's on is Where Is My Mind Oh my god! <laughs> and I think it was on repeat because it was just like it was this like I was I was like or that was the acid or the acid yeah, yeah. I probably should not have been driving but it was like what it's fine. you know as I'm it's going fine. in I'm still like and so I went into work and there was a boy who had a crush on me uh, one of the other waiters and he he was easy to talk to I was like yeah I was like I did some math. and and so he followed me around like a puppy dog filled up everybody's waters got them like my eyes were totally dilated and I could barely like hold my shit together but he. He had such a big crush on me. He basically did all my work for wow. me. Wow. Um, but that was a trip. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have done acid way more than twice. <laughs> and I found myself like, you know, in public settings, like loudly <laughs> advocating and sharing <laughs> stories. And more than once, people have been like, why don't you lower your voice a little bit? I'm like, what, I don't understand what it's not like. Uh, what is the big deal? Like, I don't like just, you know, people aren't ready to hear. I'm like, it's fucking, what are you talking? Anyway, um, there was one occasion uh, where my same newspaper buddy from episode one, I think it was post Halloween. And it's like some, we were going to go. I think this is how this went down. Leftover salmon. If you've ever heard of them, bluegrass, band from the blue like jammy bluegrass from colorado they've been around forever now um they were the headliners uh at a tra- at a halloween transvestite ball <laughs> that the, that the radio station put on and so we're all going to that in fact re- somebody recently sent pics of us <laughs> and that. and i i This girl loaned me a dress and did my hair and makeup and gave me all the thing and like I had my ass grabbed. 
<laughs> and I fucking spun around, and the dude was like, and I was like, oh, and he's like, and then it turned into, you know, insert token insult of choice for me dressing that way. Right. Of you know, why not. you got to be a fill in the, and a, you know, like, anyway, some, we were poor coordinators. And so, like, somebody, I think two people showed up with shrooms, and somebody had a couple hits of acid, and blah, blah, blah. And so, the next day or a couple days later, we're sitting around in the newspaper office, and my, my buddy's like, just pulls the little <laughs> cigarette cellophane out of his wallet that has the two doses in there. And it's like 11. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can, I can blow off the rest of my course load for the day. All I got to do is I worked full time in mm-hmm. school. I running a kit, kit, different kitchens. Um, so I, I, most of my life was, you know, struggling through 9am class. And then I would have four to close mm-hmm. almost, you know, five nights a week, probably one, five to close in there. But I mean, they were all 11s. Mm-hmm. Um, it was tough. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was like, that should be, I could drop a dose now. And in six hours time, like, get through that um so we and get in my truck and we're driving south towards new mexico like with no gas and quickly have to turn around and and we were like let's go to this diner and we go to this diner and it is like the absolutely most bonkers breakfast scenario i've ever been a part of in my life like there's a guy named gary smith who's a very he's an, uh, an older like native american and there's this um huge student senate situation where juan bliota the like native campus group is lobbying for this thing and the student senate is blocking it and us and my buddy is the editor-in-chief of the news they're not covering it enough and we we go into this diner and it's fucking full like just dozens and dozens of people in there and the staff's super busy there are two open seats in the whole place and they're at the at the bar Mm -hmm. and so in and i'm like food like i don't even if you put food in front of me i don't even know if i would have the skills to put it in your mouth yeah and (laughs) and then once it's in there my system's not going to just be like oh yeah that's food i know where it goes it's (laughs) everything is just so we're sitting there and this girl behind the counter is just fucking dreamy i mean Mm -hmm. she's wearing like the total you know corduroy patchwork hippie girl Mm -hmm. outfit and she's just like i've never seen anything and i but i'm like i can't even so he's kind of propping me up socially Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden gary smith comes over and he's like jason i want to talk to you about you know this upcoming senate thing and i was just like I mean, there was a, uh, what do you call it? Wall Street Journal left and it was kind of open and unfold. I literally, <laughs> and I'm just laughing behind it and J- he props to him. He makes it through this. Oh my God, I can't imagine. And then flicks the newspaper and he's like, dude, how could you fucking leave? I was like, how did you do that? <laughs> and I'm look, I'm looking at the newsprint and it's like code, you know? And so we, the girl is like, yeah, I'm like I've got toast and hash brown, and she's like, "Guys, you need to like not be in, in pu- public." Yeah, and they're wrapping up. It's you know she's off at one thirty, so she's like, "You should come to my place, um, and we'll 
smoke some weed and it'll chill you guys out. And Jason's like, um, I have to be in front of fair and Scott's two o'clock, uh, newspaper class to give a presentation Farron Scott is the legal advisor to our newspaper <laughs> when we put it to bed she comes over and cover to cover corner to corner cover to cover as Bob Dylan used uh-huh. to say to make sure there's nothing in there that we can get sued for right um and she has said come to class come to talk to these students <laughs> and I was like you can't he's like I know I know and I he's he's now he's all worked up about the next time he runs into her and he totally stood her up. Um, but anyway, we go to this place and smoke bong loads and she's got like four dude roommates that are all wearing the same fucking, mm-hmm. and literally they put on rusted root mm-hmm. and had, start banging. They, well, they had, they had drum and I was just like, this is fucking bananas. And out coming out of the diner to go to my truck, to drive to her place, I stopped and like, puked really hard in a bush uh-huh. and then everything turned up even more like, oh wow it, yeah like, like uh-huh. my body was like we gotta get rid of the bad stuff for it to really kick into high gear and i was like no more absorbing this stuff i thought uh-huh. this was high gear god damn it anyway it's not three o'clock and i'm like i gotta i gotta go run a kitchen in an hour like i don't know and so that last hour was just like very very Awful. high anxiety uh-huh. And I find, I'm like, all right, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And I came in the front and I made a beeline to the restroom because I was going to splash water in my face. That's going to really. And <laughs> the GM has just finished peeing at the urinal and has pivoted and he's zipping up his pants to go to the same hand sink that I, and I'm like, he's like, oh, hi. And I'm like, you know. And I, I think I just turned and faced the wall <laughs> so that he could wash and then get out of there. So that, And then I was, I was trying to avoid him like the plague. Mm-hmm. But and, and he, I'm sure he was like... What's going on? Yeah, something's mm-hmm. up with him. I mean, I, I, I finished the shift. I mean, I, I, I definitely stepped out back and vomited a couple or three more times wow. before the night was over. But... <laughs> Yes, it's amazing. <laughs> it lasts a long time. Right. It does. <laughs> and it doesn't shake off. <laughs> no, no. Um, so from 89 to 1996, um, this is uh, also one that's never been on anybody's list. And I'm... Disturbed by that? I'm going to read what I have written down, <laughs> and then I'm going to shut up because this album has meant so much to me uh-huh. for so many years and um in march i think it was march 3rd mm-hmm. when the day law catalog finally was freed up from and became available on streaming it mm-hmm. has not been available mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. years and years since streaming mm-hmm. anyway stakes is high mm-hmm. fourth of nine 17 tracks 68 minutes uh, this is a do little polar opposite in that it's never been on anybody's list, but I've, I've, I've talked about it a lot mm-hmm. in, in episodes. Um, I have some notes, um, but I want you to go first because I won't shut up if I start. It's just the soundtrack of coming adult, like on my own. I just, Tribe was on one, it was, a you know, a CD that I made, Tribe, which one would have remember now and stakes as high as I know and I just go back low in theory nope it was uh, 
Midnight Marauders. Yeah, okay. Midnight Marauders. Okay. Was Very good album. I, and it was just like, I think I wore that thing. And it was just soundtrack of call. You know, like. Same. Like. Same. And, and you realize people, people's musical taste gets canonized inside their head between the ages of 18 and 21. Like that's, that's when like your musical taste kind of gets etched in stone for life. Okay. And that was, it's been that was that process. pencil and paper for a handful yeah, of years yeah, coming yeah. into that. Uh-huh. But at some point you make some erases and yeah. some adjustments. Um, I I just love the Oswald. Okay, well, this is one of the best hip hop albums ever recorded. And anytime Daylock comes up, the go to for people is Three Feet High and Rising. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's dog shit compared to Sticks. I had it on cassette, mm-hmm. still have it on cassette. Um, and. Um, there is the end of side A. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that? Yeah. So Long Island Degrees mm-hmm. is the song. And as the song fades, um, you get this little ragtimey, saloony kind of jingle. And it's it's got to be a, an excerpt from a real life interview. Mm-hmm. And it's like a hillbilly white dude. Mm-hmm. Do you know the passage? It's... Not clear in my head right now. Okay. And so I'm quoting, uh-huh. so don't cancel me. Um, you see, you get this bring, ding, ding kind of jingle, and then there's some noise, and all of a sudden this dude comes on and he goes, uh, rap, Yeah, rap music, uh, it just oh, yeah. ain't really, ain't no music in it. I mean, it's just niggers talking. And then the side ends, and pop, you get the pop from the cassette. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that quote is so, so jarring uh-huh. in and of itself. And, and then, then to have the stop, and it's like, fuck, mm-hmm. that's a real person that said that and meant it in the real life out there. And they were like, you know, in case you never believed in bigotry and whatnot. Right. And it's like, God damn it i was i was hoping that it was all in the movies on t you know what i'm saying yep. uh-huh. um and so uh just that was where you know i was like man there's that that sucks but mm-hmm. thank you mm-hmm. to them for putting it out there it's really interesting because i listened to a lot of hip-hop through the 90s and you know hearing about all the stuff that's now part of popular culture about racism and systemic everything and all that they were rapping about it talking about it like and they were just like the media just it was just noise that rappers made and it wasn't they actually had a platform or they actually had an issue like but they had like they were like talking and pushing for everything that is finally happening 30 years later. Yeah. Um, it's just really, um, and it, it, it felt, it didn't, it didn't feel like I remember hearing about it. I was so disassociated. didn't realize that that was real life. And that's the way that people actually had to exist with people treating them that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also uh, a little interlude to close the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's the same guy, mm-hmm. but it's, it sounds like a white person. And, it, but you, you get the, where it's outside like an interview kind mm-hmm. of thing and he's like um you know uh he, he talks about momentum like I'm, I'm in a hole like i think the person is interviewing him because he's in a hole he's in he's in a 
shit life mm-hmm. in a shit world and he's like you know every time i get a little momentum something or other happens and knocks me back and then i don't get something decent to eat for three or four days and it's just this cycle and the clip ends with him saying i mean just you know stakes high mm-hmm. and i mean fucking Shit. goosebumps right it's like yeah man it's mm-hmm. you know like the whole uh race and race and race to become an adult mm-hmm. and then you get there and you're like what the fuck this is it <laughs> fuck <laughs> cartoons and cereal on saturday morning was paradise right. um there i can't believe nobody else has said that album really yeah man uh-huh um in my opinion, um, track six, Den in it, Den in it, hey, you know, uh, into seven breaks, mm-hmm. which is the beacon on the hill for me, uh, is the best one two punch ever put on. Oh, you think so? In, 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 in I, I like, I like the concept of an album. I like, um, however it's written, like if you're the front woman and you you write the shit pencil paper acoustic guitar and you bring it to everybody else and they contribute and then you go in the studio and you make a record it's mm-hmm. a whole experience i love the mm-hmm. concept of an album and fucking fights happen and bands break up and people run out of money and record labels say go fuck yourself we gave you uh, and you know what's the cover art going to be, and how is the credit going to be? In it? What's the track listing? Mm-hmm. What songs aren't going to make it? Right. Uh-huh. Um, so for hip hop slash rap, uh, that one two punch yeah. is the best uh-huh. because Den and It is beautiful, uh-huh. and then breaks it bleeds right into breaks, and somebody goes disco, and, th- and they just say the word disco, and it's mm-hmm. it's, and so and then you get really really well-crafted verses mm-hmm. and, and a chorus um it'd be your listening pleasure while you're doing your chores no matter where you're from it's for you and yours bringing it back to the breaks like the yes yes y'all so let it be your anthem while you're having a ball and then he goes into a mother gets shot by a crackhead son that's the break you know all the way down to your boyfriend made you a carrier of hiv and it's just like Fuck, this is so real and set to such beauty mm-hmm. that I don't, I mean, it's. It's ethereal. And it's the creme de la creme. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just so stoked that you have this <laughs> on your list. Like, I couldn't, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Uh-huh. I like to get hyperbolic from time to time. But when I'm looking at your list, I only see that. I'm oh, like, yeah, ah, that's, that's, you know. Um, and you, I believe, asterisked uh, track 12, It's So Easy. Yeah. What was... Uh, I don't know. Okay. It just feels like... feels right inside. Okay. I don't, just something... Just something about the melody. I uh, I don't know. Well... Maybe there's a memory that's tied to it that okay. I don't remember. And maybe if I sat with it and just like closed my eyes and let my bring neurons to well, their thing but I'm, probably a memory would be my guess thank you mm-hmm. uh it's i mean i've had to f- well okay i did one episode i had a guest back and we did the, we went through the whole tribe and the whole day law mm-hmm. discographies in one <laughs> oh sitting uh-huh. so i got to really ah, dig in. you know uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. but but we were anyway um much cooler if it's random and a part of somebody's list right. but uh, 1998, only one record, 
uh, only one studio record, 16 tracks, 77 minutes, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Talk to me about it. Just, I, I don't know what, you know, I, I obviously found Lauren Hill through the Fugees, like right? the Fugees, that was good, but Lauren, I think all of the albums that I, I gave to you are all albums that I've never once gotten tired of. Mm. Like there, there's songs where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm over there. I don't need to listen to. That. But e- each one of those I can listen to, and there's none of this like it's old. But my boy, my boyfriend, my husband broke up with me for a small period of time, and I remember just Lauren Hill was. Mm. I used to love him. Salve yeah, for that wound. Just, yeah, and so there, there's a little bit of that, and that would be typically a bad memory, but it wasn't. I just love Lauren. Like it's just the sound of her voice, the rhythm, the harmony, just everything. <coughs> I've called it, it is, it's made one person's list, mm-hmm. um, a record the world needed without us really knowing that we needed it. Oh, and then yeah. once it was here, it was like, you can't have, this is here to stay. Uh-huh. Like this and is. And you can't have anything else like it. No. Ever again. I know. I know. <laughs> because I'm going to go off the La La Land. And, it like, has and... aged <laughs> flawlessly. Uh-huh. Um, I do feel like those three kind of have a. They, they 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 don't sound like they're from the time. I'm, I'm talking about Stakes is High, Lauren Hill, and um, Doolittle. And Doolittle. They don't sound like they're from the. I mean, maybe I've like there's so think, much in my brain, but they don't sound like they come from the era. Think that about they are. The, what the rest of the music world was right, doing in yeah. 1986 when Graceland came out. Right. Yeah. And it. What, oh, everybody's yeah. technology I'm, and new way and and he pulls back and, and goes you know diamonds on the sole of her yeah. shoes and yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I put this on the thread with the boys mm-hmm. when miseducation landed on somebody's list the first time. And I said, what, just what do you think is the best album closer you've ever heard? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good answers. Um, and, and I, and I tried to say, you know, you got to think about the album as a, as a whole. whole. It's mm-hmm. fluid. People don't think about music like that anymore. I know. I know. <laughs> Fuck those people. Uh, but point being, uh, my answer is tell him. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's, and that's not to take away from anything else, else that happened. Right. It's just the but right and the right. It's so, the harmonies. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, the phrase, it'll be all right, or just be all right. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that, I bet, you know, it, it, it's valuable in times of need. Right, I mean, yeah. it, hopefully you have a human that is there talking to you as you're going through whatever you're going through. Mm-hmm. And it's not always, there are times where, well, I just, I, I, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think that album I, is one that I always feel. I always feel emo- like there's always, I'm, I'm, I'm in a completely changed mental state because my emotions have gone on a ride in a way that I'm kind of altered by it. Um, well, the harmonies, the music, even the interludes. I mean, you, you get this opening kind of classroom mm-hmm. with the kids yeah, yeah, and, yeah. The, mm-hmm. and they're talking about love mm-hmm. and listening to like what kids, how kids describe love. That. And I could listen to that over and over. I know. Later. And then you get to like, there's an interlude a couple or three tracks later where he's calling roll mm-hmm. and she's mm-hmm. not there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck, where, you know, Mm-hmm. What do we do? Like we go like go find her. Why isn't she there? You know. Um, but great list. Mm-hmm. Thank you mm-hmm. for sharing it. Um, do you? We have. I wrap up with 
goofy questions. Okay. And then we, it's 25 minutes till your bedtime, and okay. you got a little bit of a drive uh-huh. home. Um, any? Do you want to plug anything? Photos, website, social media? Uh, I have a website, yes, meghuman.com. Okay. It's not very updated. but What does know, that mean? Uh, I, it's got all my photography, and I just haven't put anything up in the last But the stuff years. that's up there yeah. is oh, very yeah, beautiful. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. good. Uh-huh. Go look at uh, that I shit. I plug my class if anybody's going to KU. Um, I teach in the fall. I teach freshmen. My class is a lot of fun. Okay. And we do really cool things, um, and I'm looking for good students, and so what, I plug that. what's it called again? Creativity University in you and the Creative like Mindset. Com- creativity, comma, university, university, comma, and you. That one's not my title. I was given that title. The Creative Mindset is the one that I came up with. Okay. Very cool. So um, here we go. Okay. These are just quirky. Mm-hmm. You are a read, read, you're a read receipts on person. Oh. (laughs) I think that's enough said right there. Uh, So um, tell me if you happen to have considered it about that choice, uh, what the flip side looks like. I had not really ever considered it a choice. I just, deep. there's a lot. Default setting uh and you just, uh just okay. Uh-huh. Okay. I don't really have a problem if people know if I've seen it and not reply. Like that's. I mean, likes. that's the whole. That's the crux of the. Yeah. Like. Oh, well, I mean, that's why people turn it off, right? They don't want people to know when they've seen it. Well, or like I, I'm, for me, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, I'm a, a big barrel of mess in terms of emotions and whatnot. Uh, but it's like being being chosen, being validated, uh, being acknowledged. Like those are all um, probably things that were underserved, and so and so. Like I don't want to do that to you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to see that I read your text and haven't replied, even if my reason for not replying it is perfectly mm-hmm. rational. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been through enough shit, like with my dad and my mom, and I've been busy and I'm on shoots that, like, you know, a whole day goes by, and I just literally don't have either the emotional bandwidth, the physical time, I, or whatever. Totally. And I'm, I'm a piece of, like, if you don't, if you have a problem with me, like, having a life and prioritizing what needs to be done, then I. I guess the better question would be default setting or by choice, right? <laughs> right? To uh-huh. start with and then make. Well, I just didn't even know that it was. Well, I didn't either until... <laughs> I mean, I um, guess I did because I've seen that other people don't, but I just never... I've gotten on the dating apps mm-hmm. twice. Mm-hmm. Once, um, it was August of 2018, so, uh, you know, close to a half a year after initial separation, and uh, I, I got on three different ones. And I'm not even kidding you. All of a sudden, I was like, holy shit, I have been swiping the wrong way. for three days. And mostly ignoring every uh, other thing and uh, all the important things, uh-huh, my kids. Uh-huh. And I was like, delete, delete, delete. Mm-hmm. Like, go, that has to go away. And then December, so mm-hmm. four months later, I was like, oh, maybe I'm more disciplined or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll try, try it again. Ended up going on a date. Um, and um, a mom of three, I think, um, 
we were we met at one spot and got a drink at the bar and we're ha- having our very initial like first mm-hmm. in-person encounter and t- somehow the concept of kids and dating and texting and so forth came up and she was like i just remember this one phrase and it, i think maybe her daughter had gone through something that had been like you know, some version of heartbreak or, or whatever um and she she tells the whole tale and she says i mean he left me on red mom and i'm in my mind i'm thinking the color like what what does that mean <laughs> right. and she's like no i'm like oh so ever since then i'm like i see somebody with it no, on no, uh-huh. and i'm like <gasps> <laughs> for no good reason other than that experience that, uh-huh. So, um, you are given the ability to visit your past self at any age you're choosing. What age are you choosing and what are you saying? Seventeen-year-old self. Mike Kennedy and I had a conversation outside Shawnee Mission East. Good people. And he asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I want to be a National, Geogra- National Geographic photographer, but I can't do that. Was the f- like, it was all one word. I want to be a National Geographic photographer, but I can't do that. And this sort of like, this, I would tell myself, you can do whatever you decide. I mean, obviously within bounds, but you got you to gotta, you gotta make your shit happen. I love it. I, 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 I don't know that I feel like I need to do that. I feel like the journey, like having not pursued that at that age and like becoming a software developer and doing all the things that are very much like who I am. So I don't know that I would right. actually undo that if I could. Right. But right. If, if there were a moment where I wanted to impact myself, I think it mm. would be then. Cool. Um, I think that's why I like teaching 18-year-olds so much because they're still at that like that age where they're dismissing themselves but still young enough that like they haven't like little closed any doors. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, if we can agree that the bird is an unacceptable road rage reaction in this crazy day and age, you never, mm. you know, plenty of people I want to flip off all the time, but... They might fucking shoot me. You right. know what I'm saying? Uh, so what's the best way to let someone know they just made a huge piece of shit move behind the wheel of their car? Just a little beep. Okay. Okay. Um, I had. Or I'd ignore it. This. Okay. Well, but that's not. You're not engaging in road rage if you right. ignore it. No. no. Uh, not that I'm encouraging it, uh-huh. but I, I, I think uh, among many, like people, I know, obviously a lot of people are distracted driving because they're on their phones but the amount of people i see still holding their phone whether it's this or that um, and and even if they're not they're not fucking focused right they're either driving recklessly or super slow and just it's distracted it's hard and then you know like the workforce is so if you're running a generic errand mm-hmm. you got to go to walmart and get band-aids or something and so there's all this hectic and then you get there and the employees are absolute dog shit too. It's like, why wouldn't I just get everything from Amazon and never step out into this ever? <laughs> that world. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, That's funny. I had this, that question stems from, um, I don't remember who or when it was, but they told me, um, I decided recently that whenever somebody does a shitty thing driving mm-hmm. and I, if I wind up even with them and eyesight, 
<laughs> I, fell, I, like I fell out of my chair because you know they're gonna be like, oh, damn. like they they're not gonna oh get God. mad because right. it's not the anyway. Uh, is that's there um, one, two, four? Okay, that's weird. Is there a genre or an artist or a song that were you to hear at a social function would make you visibly cringe? And if so, what is it? Yes, but I don't know. Um, for me it's Bon Jovi and Meatloaf like I'm not I, I'll wait out <laughs> oh Phil Collins I really don't like Phil Collins I don't know what it is not even Genesis I know it's weird do you know Amanda Yates she was a year ahead of us I know the name but I don't you'd probably recognize her face uh-huh. I see I usually see her once a year Labor Day weekend I go out for some shows in Colorado and she's always there too mm-hmm. uh, recently told me that exact same thing really and it's like cilantro for me or something like I'm just like I can't, I can't. I can't. Oh my God. I eat my Phil Collins with double cilantro. <laughs> um, but she, so, you know, there are, uh, you know, you don't, you're not aware of it until you're aware of it, but there are like so many places, i.e. the grocery store uh-huh. where you, like, there's a lot of Phil Collins just being put out there into the world and you get some on you. And I like, I, I love, <laughs> so, and of course, you know, since then, mm-hmm. immediately, uh, the places that I go on my phone, mm-hmm. Phil Collins memes and Phil Collins, every time I see one, I send it to her. And she's oh, like, that's funny. <laughs> one, the other day, it's been a, a couple months ago, um, I sent one to her and she was like, I just walked into the grocery store and Phil and and, and, and I just uh, sent her to me and she's like, I'm way too hungover to deal with any of this. So <laughs> you have to stop. Um, let's see here. Um, okay. Last but not least, complete this sentence for me, please. The world would immediately become a better place in which to live. If only. We could live in each other's mind. What? What does that mean? Like read each other's thoughts? Live in each other. Feel each other's emotions and thoughts that's a fucking outer space ai wild well, i've often wondered i was like would there be evil would there be war if you couldn't keep something secret like if you had to always like have the truth visible to the outside world like wouldn't would it be a better play would it like hmm. fascinating because then you would always know what people's motivations were, right, you know? Right, And even, like... they would, they would you, the, That would become your nickname. They'd be like, that's fucking greedy Greg over there. <laughs> still trying to take more... Uh, Robert Sapolsky came out. You know Robert Sapolsky? He's a big neuroscientist. Um, but he came out... I think it came out today on... What did he call it? Determined? Um, but he he's... A, philosopher language whatever but he thinks that nobody has free will mm. Whoa. And that's kind of the conclusion in reading a lot of the books that i've read by he doesn't usually talk about that but I, I think we have the illusion of free will but if we could read each other's thoughts then you would know when someone's lying you would know when someone is like you know like when someone's girlfriend is needy they're needy because they're dad was you know mean to them when they were little but you'd like see that memory and you'd understand why it is that they're needy and you'd be able to like feel their need and be meet them where they need to be more compassionately wow 
I, I don't know if that's the right answer, but. Of course it is. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. Thank you. It was there fun. are a million reasons between the origin of our communication and today that you could have just not even gotten back to me. Mm-hmm. But time passed and then you did on your own. Yeah. You were like, hey. And I was like. Well, I finally have bandwidth. <laughs> right? Um, my life finally stopped careening out of control, I believe, kind of... was the phrase. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I could see it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was, as soon as you wrote those words, I was like, amen. I, not, I didn't ever want to be somebody like, you know, another buzz and checking in and mm-hmm. – but um, so thank you for initially saying yes, for circling back with me multiple times, for giving me a list, for giving me a good chunk of your evening tonight. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're after last night and then tonight, you need to no, speed need home. <laughs> well, tomorrow when I'm teaching, we're doing Legos, so I don't have to have my A game on. Okay, but you still need that eight hours if you can I do need get that close. Hours. And I have to go. I have a 9 a.m. that I need it. So no late days. Right. Thank you for having me. Thank I uh, I said yes because I love people who make stuff and I love people who connect with people and I just really um, appreciate your love of music and culture and um, it's a cool. Thank you. Life's short and right. And, and as we know, a lot of this like disappears from our brains and now it'll live for in forever like on a podcast <laughs> well, what, what was my memory back then? oh that's yeah, what my me- oh yeah. it's not that anymore is yeah it? and uh you know um a lot of you know talked about this very briefly but a lot hey how's the podcast you know it's it's alive and breathing mm-hmm. and uh, oftentimes uh what you need to do is and it's like you're absolutely all the people that say that are right <laughs> And but I can't give any more time, energy, money. You know, Mm -hmm. this is what it is. is And so, uh, you know, if if six people watch this, Mm -hmm. you know, in the next year or what, whatever. But but making art is connecting. It's but maybe later, somebody you know somebody's going to watch it and go and get something out of it and mm. yeah, I don't whatever mm-hmm. for now it's just for us so right, right. <laughs> well I work when I when I was a software developer I worked in the natural history museum um I was a I wrote so biologists go out collect beavers and plants they bring them back to museums and they need to catalog them and so having worked in a museum like the amount of information that's important like so there's like a specimen from a hundred years ago there's also like the little piece of paper where the person like drew a little map and like there's all this like contextual information that at the time just seems kind of like peripheral but like a hundred years later is really really valuable and if you can capture it at some point you can come back and visit it and i think that there'll be a wealth of information for like maybe 200 years from now someone's just like what were people doing and like what what, what were they thinking about music and this right. would be like a nice repository right commentary thank you thank you bye i need a piece of